This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand, providing high-strength formulations to support recovery, elevate energy, and relieve joint inflammation for endurance athletes. Available now at pillarperformance.com.au. Welcome to episode number 227 of the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another week. Massive, massive, massive show coming at you. I know I've said that before, but I think in our 227 episode history, this could be the biggest show we've put together. We're going to be talking to Jack Rayner over in the USA. Hopefully, we have got an Olympic medalist on for the interview. Josh Kerr, the bronze medalist from the Tokyo Olympic Games over the 1500 metres. So that's a huge interview for us. A lot of running news, all the usual segments actually might cut a few because it's such an loaded agenda as it is. So uh, thanks for downloading the show. Thanks for having us in your ears for the next, well, it's probably going to be two hours at least this show. The interview, yeah, we might cut that too. I don't know. You can tell I'm making stuff up as I go here. Welcome to my co-host up in Canberra, Bradley Croker. How you going? Good, Brady. Good. We've been on air for about an hour and we're just starting the show. <laughs> There's been a few things to do <laughs> off to the side, ladies and gents, but it's all going to come together, I'm sure. And my other co-host, I think it's his 35th birthday today, Julian Spence, the businessman. Welcome to the show. 36. 36. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were a year older than me. You're two years older. Oh, I don't know, but this is the first year that I've felt old. But Moose doesn't 36. celebrate birthdays, so I haven't, I haven't wished him happy birthday yet. I wished him no. happy birthday at 7.30 this morning. The prick just doesn't even say thank you. <laughs> I didn't, that's why I didn't even bother. I know. What an absolute prick this guy is. I just don't do it. I don't. I mean, I do it for some other people. I do it for. Um, what happens when your kid turns five? He's gonna be like, "No, nah, I just don't do that." Or, or is, Pia comes up to you like, "Oh, Dad, here's your birthday. Here's a little card I made at school for you." You're just like, "Nah, just I'm not even replying to that." Pia, it's, there's no significance to this day. Uh-huh. It's the same as know, yesterday. Hey, Brady, do you know what I can't wait for? What about when uh, she gets invited to kids' birthday parties and he has to go along? Oh, He's yeah. gonna hate that. Tell you what, we won't be doing fairy, buying presents. No presents. <laughs> These poor kids. You're gonna have to. They'll just stop that inviting us after a while. Yeah, that's exactly what you'll want. Uh, it's mm-hmm. been a big week in the world of distance running, running boys. So uh, yeah, grateful that you're here to talk about it with me. Let's start with our run and recaps. Let's go. Uh, it's yeah. I don't think we can talk about ourselves too much on this week's show because there's amazing things that have happened all over the world. So let's maybe whip through this. Croaks, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, okay. So I had a bit of a up and down week. Um, so I did an hour Monday afternoon, listened to the Derek Clayton interview on the Racing Heart podcast. I really enjoyed that. Oh, I haven't like, got to it yet. It's a really good. Oh, yeah, Derek. like it just it, it just makes you realise that this guy was running 208 in like 1969. And it's like, imagine if like if any of our top runners now ran 208, they'd be like, superstars and this guy was doing it in 1969 like he ran like yeah. an 11 minute pb yeah didn't he oh no sorry that that wasn't it he ran the 209 he ran a um 10 minute pb or something yeah just an animal like he's one of those guys like the mileage that he was running is just ridiculous um but it was it's interesting to hear that 
like he's still in really, really good shape in his 70s. Um, but yeah, like a really enjoyable uh, um, podcast and interview. So I'd highly recommend that. Tuesday, I did like 35 minutes on the treadmill Tuesday morning because I was feeling pretty fresh and thought, oh yeah, I'll do a double motivations high. Um, so just chuck the treadmill on 12K an hour. Um, so I did 7K, headed out to the track on Tuesday afternoon. And this is where the week sort of, like the session was good, but the week went a bit pear-shaped after this. So um, my session was eight by K off a minute rest. And the plan was to run them somewhere around sort of, I don't know, 10 mile race pace, something like that. And um, there was uh, three of us that were sort of taking turns of leading. And, and after like the second rep, my lateral calf, so opposite calf to the one that went in December, but the same one that I had issues with in the Melbourne half in 2018 and a similar spot. It just got tight during that rep. And so during the recovery, I sort of just massaged that lateral band and then I couldn't feel it for the rest of the session, but I was still just like a little bit worried that it had tightened up on rep two. And like, I have, I think I averaged probably about 316s for each K. So like the slowest was 319. The quickest was like 312. Um, another one of those like really, really enjoyable sessions, like felt like I could have done another two, three, four reps. Um, you know, more just becomes a bit of a, a bit of a grind on the legs, like just the volume. Uh, but in terms of the effort was there, um, the heart rate was an improvement on a couple of weeks ago when I did six of them. So that was pleasing. And then, yeah, when I finished the session and started cooling down, it felt a little bit tight and sore. And then the same thing that night. Um, and because of what happened in December, I didn't want to repeat of that. So Wednesday, it, was, it wasn't sort of hot, but it was sore to touch. So I'm like, uh, I'll just give it a day off. So I went to the gym and rode the bike for an hour or just over an hour. And then I decided to have Thursday off as well, just because I, I just didn't want like a one-week injury to turn into four, like it sort of did in December. So I took Thursday off as well. Friday, jumped on the treadmill, uh, ran 50 minutes, felt completely fine, and the tenderness had started to go away. So I thought, all right, well, I can get through 50. I'll increase it a bit on Saturday. Uh, did an hour out at Mulligan's, 425s, calf was fine no tenderness uh listen to the long and the short of it uh episode nine that afternoon jumped on the treadmill for another 35 minutes uh still completely pain free and then sunday did 28k um in just over two hours at 418s out at mulligans once again calf was good um so i ran like just under 100k for the week only one session but uh dodged a bullet and like it sucked not sort of, you know, training the way that I wanted to, but, you know, only missing two days of running um, and still getting through 100K and my calf feels fine. So that's my week. Jeez, I thought the Ingebrigtsen training got in midweek, Moose. Oh, I just couldn't I believe it. Like, I'm like, if my calf is like locking up on me at like, because rep two was like 318, 317 pace. I'm like, this is not good. Um, and because I feel like I've been training pretty smart. But, uh, yeah, two yeah, days off. There is a yeah. level of risk involved with 8 by one k on the track, though. Like, it's a lot of laps. You're doing 20 laps. Yeah, but it went on me, it went on me rep two. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I suppose. And then I didn't feel it after that for the rest of the session. So, anyway, we're all, we're all good now. I did get a century in a bit of a bad mood this week, so it's good you turned the page a bit. Turn the corner. Mm, that's that's what it's from. Yeah, I was wondering busy. what yeah. it was from. Yeah, been all right. It's a real part of this all week, Moose, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, he's look. He's 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 getting dumped from every training group he's joined at the moment. <laughs> what do you mean? The Ingos have got rid of you. The, the, no, the... no, they haven't. No, the so I'm Ingos. back on the. I'm back on the trip. I'm back on the treadmill tomorrow for some six-minute reps, and then I'm going to do some heels hopefully on Friday. That'll be great oh, for yeah. your calf heels. Yeah, <laughs> you got to do them hard too. They're the hard ones, remember? That's the A workout yeah. heels, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it won't be an it won't be an A this week. It'll just be easing into it. All right, Moose, you had race week. Tell us about yours. Uh, a bit of a tempo this week on the Sunday, but we'll talk about. <laughs> um, no, Monday night. I Monday morning just ran an hour. Uh, up on the flat trails up towards Bells Beach. I was pretty beat up from that long run half race thing we did. And then I was going to run that afternoon, but we had, um, I had like the business settlement. So that was kind of a big evening at the, at the store. So yeah, I didn't get around to that running. And then that was pretty much the, uh, the trend for the week is that I had ambition to run more, but, but couldn't. So I, Tuesday morning was fit out day, so I was up pretty early. Ran on the treddy for 40 minutes um, while the sun came up, and then as the, then once the sun sort of came up a bit, I jumped out and ran 20 minutes outside, so a full hour. And I was going to, um, I was actually going to run that that afternoon, but there was zero chance that I was in the store until very late. Like had some good helpers, but did all the work we needed to. Um, got the new treddies in, new. What you guys saw the Instagram, didn't you? You like that? Yeah, I saw the Instagram. Mm. Yeah, thanks Jeez. for sharing it on your. No, own. I'm waiting for the. I told you, I'll share it when I see something with Croaks and I in there. Just put our picture. <laughs> put our picture. It of, is um, in there. The picture you of Berlin. Can you put that up? Put the picture you of the singlet. I got inside running singlet in there. Have you? Yeah, your names are on the roof. Beautiful. I like that. Was it in the video? I don't know. I didn't make the video. I can't Come make on, the get video. It. Good. Yeah, just give me some kind of bit of just something for my little ego up here in my top, armor. It's on the on the roof. That is the my rich, that is literally my it top. Is your top. That is it my top. Is. I paid for that but top, Brad, and they never no, sent it to me. <laughs> Did you about this? I got them. Got that. Got Geelong a premiership back in like 2013. They bought these. They made these tops to celebrate. Never sent me one. Yeah, yeah, they. You ordered, did, I, ordered, I ordered no one, money received from Ordered you. one, paid for it, Brad. They never sent it to me. Now he's got it up in the store. So I don't know. It, you've, you've got to have it to take in singles without paying, Brady. Mate, I can't believe Yeah, that. that's absolutely, <laughs> Brad. Anyway. Can't believe these tight asses down there. Everyone looks, everyone looks at that T-shirt, reads all the names, and goes, who's Brady Crowell Wow. Well, and it, I'm like, yeah, it, that's right. Who exactly. is Brady Crowell? The guy that ran here. Oh, jeez, I saved us that time, mate. But I reckon I come fourth at Bandura that day, just in front of Nick White. Got his heaps of points. You were spent most of the year in Divi 2 and got called up one day. Me for and Craig Mottram in the relay team at Sandown. I don't know how you made that team, actually, that day. Anyway, ask Brett Coleman. I reckon I carried the team that year. So if any listeners are out there and you go into the new running company, Geelong, first question you ask Moose when you go in the door is where is the stat, the sash from 2012 that Brady won at stall that he's offered to have in the shop? You won't see it there because he hasn't paid me yet any contract money to, to have it for a lease for 12 months. Second thing you ask him is, is that Brady's T-shirt on the roof? Brad, have a listen to this. Yeah, he's, he's, he's made my new running store yeah. about him somehow. <laughs> he thinks that he thinks that handing over the sash is like somebody donating something to the Australian Museum. It is. Do you like, know how hard it is to win a sash at store? Hey? People go their whole lives trying to win it. 
Comparing his sash to Herb Elliott's gold medal that's in some museum. Mate, you guys don't understand the significance of stall. You'll see it in a few weeks when you get down there. But that, they're, they're, some people say they're harder to win the gold medals at the Olympics. I don't exactly agree with that, but some people say that. Jeez, you're up sure. about tonight, no, aren't you? No, no, Well, we've been recording for about an hour to get to this stage. We've already had two right, beers, so it could us, be a long tell episode. Us, tell us what you did next. Uh, that Well, I ran on the treaty the next morning and then ran in the um, after work down around some old loops near my house. It was pretty warm. Didn't wear my heart rate, so actually lost, lost uh, track of how hard I was working. Um, next morning, got out early, ran in the dark from start to finish, dark the whole time. Didn't love that. So there's like when you run in the dark, everything feels so much faster than what it is. It does. Yep. It's Agree. Just, yeah, it's crazy. Um, uh, actually, later start the next day, so got out for an hour. I was just my goal was to run an hour minimum for the day, and and then I was getting too pumped during the day working. Um, like it's just flat knacker the whole time, so I don't really get a chance in the afternoon because once the store shuts. I just I have to stay back, do all the admin work until late, and then I want to get home CP before she goes to sleep. So it's like, oh, I'm, I'm and I cannot exercise after dinner. Like there are some people that run at eight p.m. That that's impossible to me. I can't do that. Or the people that exercise at like eight p.m. and then eat at nine p.m. I'd struggle to do oh. that as well. <laughs> That affects no your way. sleep massively too. That's what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago. When you do those later runs, then it affects your sleep and then it just, it just snowballs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not run by like six, I'm probably not running. Well, I'm not running. I can tell you right now I'm not running. Anyway, uh, full treadmill hour on the – we had some awful weather. I know there's been some – actually, I'm probably not complaining about the weather. Down <laughs> but we had a, we had an hour of I, – I, an hour treadmill run on um saturday morning and then a big day in the store so sunday morning i actually was going to i felt shit all week like garbage because my sleep's been cut probably by one to two hours a night and so by saturday i was like probably missing 10 hours of sleep Um, excuse excuse number one let's keep account brady yeah so uh but no no i said saturday afternoon i actually felt good like my back had loosened up I felt poppy again. I'm like, I might be on tomorrow. Oh, there's no expectation. I'm just a, um, I'm just an old hack now. Not expected to do anything well. Been a big week for me. Lack of sleep. Just working my, working my fingers off. So, mate, you're an Australian I'll, representative. You've broken 30 minutes for 10k. You are legit. So I've been doing very little training. Should, oh, very you've been going right for so a I, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I've got some good runners that are showing up tomorrow. Um, so what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll just see how long I can hang out with them. And they're very well coached runners too, most of them. So this is how you want to hear a quick recap of the race. So we went out pretty gentle, had Toby on my right, Toby Mende, he beat you at Melbourne, Brady. Um, and, and then Matt Gunther on my left, he was just behind you at Melbourne, but would probably beat you at the moment. And then, oh yeah, yeah. How many kids have you got? We got Ferg. So Andrew Ferguson, I reckon he'd probably beat you. He's an old, <laughs> an old bull. Yeah, yeah. Why are you comparing guys that have beaten you to if they could beat me or not? I could beat you at the moment. Plug your, plug your microphone in. You're, you're dropping out. Oh, this mic's terrible anyway. Um, you, we still can't hear you. All your jokes are going nowhere. Can you hear me now? Not very well. All right. 
Is that better? That's better. Well, that's good 80 bucks well spent. Um, so I thought I was going okay, but I hadn't raced very much at all for a long time. And so I, um, we were running together, Matt and Toby and I, until 5K. And we went through 5K. I looked down. It was 16 minutes flat. And I thought, okay, we've, like, I don't – I'm not – most of the time at this point, I put in a bit of a surge and I run a bit faster and and I can pull it off. So I put in a bit of a surge and, and I, I ran a couple of faster kilometers. I was at the front. And then we got over the bridge with about 3K to go and I took off um, again and put in a little surge. And to- No, that's when Toby took off past me and I thought, oh, yeah, I'll go with Toby here. And Matt was dropped at that point. And... And about 200 meters down the trail, I'm like, oh boy, I'll fuck this one up pretty good because I just couldn't go fast anymore. All of a sudden, like my body just stopped being able to generate the same momentum that it could like a minute ago. Was that the and 323K? It, yeah, is that what it was? It's 67? Oh, no, that was, that was your ninth K. <laughs> Ninth K was me waiting for Ferg to pass me, um, and he got me at about one at about eight point five, I reckon. Ferg all of a sudden just bounces past me like, "Hey, go, mate!" I'm like, "Oh, I'm like I was battling, and this is the best excuse in the book right here, but I'm going to stand by it." I wore a heart rate strap, and it gave me a stitch. I had a stitch at the seven K mark. And I couldn't breathe properly. And I was thinking about just tossing my heart rate longer in the river. I'm like, this is the last time I wear a heart rate for a race ever. Hey, Brady, what has Moose always said when people use the excuse of a stitch? stitch. Didn't prepare well enough. Yeah, they're, but... No, they're, 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 running, they're running above them, running yeah. above their ability. They're making other mistakes. <laughs> no, nah, not when you've got a heart rate monitor. What the heart rate does is it compresses your diaphragm so you can't get enough air in. And so it creates a stitch. And so I... Um, I'm going to stand by that excuse. Look, I didn't tell the boys on the day, so they're going to they're going to be upset to hear this. But that's what it was, and it makes me feel a lot better. I finished it's, the race. Hey, it's a starting it's a starting point. And I, <laughs> I noticed you didn't even you didn't even run 10k. No, nah, I was no. I'm very good on this course. A little local knowledge took a few meters off the course here and there. Um, stay inside the cones and it's safe. But the others went the long way around, and I found a few little sneaky bits to. Is it? It's is not this a fast course. It's bike isn't it? Fast. But is this data good for you, Moose, where you realise sort of what shape you're in and maybe you adjust your paces like for sessions? Yeah. Well, it was perfect for me because I literally got to 7K and I'm like, I think I'm going okay here because I don't know how fit I am. But then I, I basically just raced as hard as I could the whole way and it got me to 7K. Mm. And and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I can't do this. For, this isn't an effort that's sustainable for 10K right now. Uh, but I need to learn that more. I've fallen out of tune with that. It's been so long since I've raced consistently that I don't know how hard to push um, during races because I don't know how long I can pull it off for. So really I should be um, listening to this and going, okay, next time I race, I'll recognize that this effort I'm putting out here is a 7k effort it's it's not a 10k effort i need to probably back it off and 
And I made like in retrospect, I was the one who was pushing the pace the entire way until 7K. And there were multiple times where I, I made like surgy moves to try and um, see if I felt good that still, I didn't need to do. Still thinking you're the big dog mm, when you're not that's the big what's dog. There. Uh, well, <laughs> they, those guys would have been licking their lips at that too, and they? They're like, oh, Moose is going to do all the work. Uh, both, you should have waved them through saying, do some work, fellas. That was the same thing with both those guys at Melbourne. They hate doing work, those two guys. <laughs> Gunther said at 7K, he'd conceded defeat to me. At 7.2K, he was 100 metres ahead of me. <laughs> that's, how, that's how quickly things change in races. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it was good. So good day for the coach, Gunther second, Ferg third. Toby, pretty, bit of a mentor to Toby, I reckon. Hey, what were the winning times? Uh, 31.30, and Jeez. Toby had run 20K or so beforehand. Um, and I ran 32.06, I think, 32. And that's not great, but um, I don't I don't really That's care, good from you know. Toby off the back of a long run, a 20K. He's fit. He's very – he did – I mean, he just sat on me for 7K and then burst at home. He's going real well. And when I look back on it, you've got Toby who's – He's, he ran 14 I mean, 30 the other night in a yeah, windy he's night. Going pretty he good. ran with Archie as well. Like Archie's Gunther's, pretty fit. Yeah, Gunther's like a 14, probably in 14.40 shape maybe. And then Ferg, like probably the best uh, Masters athlete in the country right now. So <laughs> that's not bad coming forth. It's a high-quality field. I'm whipping through my week. Did an easy yep. hour on Monday, 4.29 pace. And then I got out for 30 minutes in the afternoon. Well, it was kind of like 20 minutes. And then I changed into my flats and just did um, six 20-second strides. Pretty quick. Like, just got to gotta keep in touch with that speed, fellas, because we've got a stall gift coming up in a couple of weeks. So I just didn't want to neglect that kind of like top-end speed. So pretty much 9 out of 10 effort for 20 seconds. 20 seconds goes pretty quick. Minute jog in between kind of enjoy doing that at the end of an easy run as well and i like having the easier monday morning off the back of the sunday long run and then yeah you can do this in the afternoon when you're a bit more recovered tuesday met up with archie um i did 10 minutes eight minutes six minutes four minute two minutes or kind of threshold like 413 pace just right in that 165 beats per minute kind of line um i had two minutes jog between the 10 and the eight minutes and 90 seconds between the six, the four, and the two. And I was proud of myself with this one because I didn't get carried away when the reps get shorter. I just kind of kept them at threshold. Um, so that was good. I enjoyed that workout. That was 10.8K at 326 in total there. Everything looking good with the data. Um, easy 30 minutes at 426 in the afternoon, Tuesday. Wednesday, full recovery day, um, 50 minutes in the morning at 444s, and then 30 minutes in the afternoon at 430s. Thursday got out for that medium long run. I also listened to the long and the short of it. I enjoyed Isaac Hayne on there. He's um he's pretty good, isn't he, Croaks? Mm, speaks well. Speaks well for a young fella, like pretty mature. He was um he was really good to listen to on there. So I got out for ninety five minutes, which was twenty two point seven K at four eleven pace. Enjoyed listening to him. Thirty minutes in the afternoon at four thirty fives. Then on Friday, second workout of the week, I did a fartlek, um, three minute, two minute, one minute times three, all with one minute jog between, and tried to go through the gears a bit. So for the three minutes, I was kind of like, yeah, 302s, 303s, two minutes was um, around three minute pace, and the one minutes were 250, 253 kind of pace there. Not sure how accurate that is with a minute GPS 
um, data there. So that was nice. Felt good. Felt in control. Um, one minute jog between it all. Brought it to 26 minutes. Good little fart left. Good little bang for the buck workout before work on a Friday. Got out for a quick half an hour after work. Saw two weddings, boys. Two weddings getting happening on um, Friday afternoon down at Chuka, down near the river there. One of them had the old horse and cart, you know, like with the white horses. And, oh. the, guy, and the guy that looks like the conductor off uh, Thomas the Tank Engine, he was like driving <laughs> yeah. the cart. That's pretty good. I was enjoying I that. Yeah, that's pretty cool seeing that. Hadn't seen that in a long time, if ever, I reckon. That's pretty nice. Um, Friday night, though, had a shocking night's sleep. So I just did 30 minutes on the Saturday, um, and then we had to go to Bendigo and back for a family function. So traveling with kids, that's always a bit rough. Rough night's sleep the night before. I just I did have planned to do another double in the afternoon, but I just cut it because I didn't want to push the envelope a bit there because I was pretty tired. And then Sunday, got out solo, listened to this week's interview, which nearly goes for two hours. So I listened to pretty much most of it on this long run. Did two hours and five minutes, um, what did I average, 4.06 pace, 30.5k, and that was nice. Just, yeah, getting lost in thoughts whilst the podcast was going. It's a very good interview. I think you'll hear half of it this week. So, um, yeah, that got me through that one, and that was 150k for the week. Three weeks now, I think, it may be like 140k average, so we're back, back building nicely. Starting to plug in a few uh, little races for April, May. Starting to put a few things on the radar. I'm pretty happy with the way things are going. Nothing sexy there, fellas, but a nice little week. Good job, Brady. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Appreciate that. Let's Thanks. move on. Oh, actually, Moose, I did have something to ask you, but I was quickly getting something done in the uh, in the background there. You, um, <clears throat> a serious question, because I've been talking a bit of shit early on in this episode, but you were, you were very... You know, went to the world champs, ran some fast times, did that good 15k at Ballarat. But since running those times, and probably would have ran close to 211, 212 at London if you didn't get maybe injured and then the race didn't get cancelled for COVID. Very anyway. generous, but thank you. No, you were fine doing some of that stuff. I remember <laughs> listening to your weekly recaps thinking this guy's ready to maybe make that next move. Um, I always Brady, ask. You're not, you're not getting that shirt, mate. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much no, no. you butter him up. I'm buttering up now it, it to then come in. Then to come in. Two oh nine moves. Two oh nine. No, no. I, was, I always ask people that I um, start coaching, like, what balls have they got in the air? What stress have you got in the life? Since that stage in your life, you've got a child now, and you've got a new mm. business with which are two big significant balls that you've now got in the air that you didn't have back then and you turned 36 today do you look at this now and think like how are you going to get back to that without sounding like you're not going to get back to it but obviously now it's going to be more challenging to get back to that yeah and what are you going to do to manage it so like this morning i had this entire like this is what i was thinking on my run Uh, i was i was running along and my my entire run was thinking about work because there's so much mm. to do right now and i um and as i was jogging down a hill i'm like i, d- I don't think there's i think this is it and i'm 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 really okay with that like i'm i'm really happy with running the times that i did but i can't and i'm just lo- like i was out there for one hour that's it running through the bush slow pace didn't see anybody i'm like you know what i'd be content doing this every day forever now just running in the bush and and not doing workouts because at the moment i cannot see a path back 
like just because of the amount of work and the amount of um, stress currently that's that's in in my world, um, I can't see a way back. And and because I knew what I know what I had to do, and there are some examples of of, of it happening. Like there are some some full time workers who who have families, but I I do think it's different with your own business. I, I think. Um, what I'm noticing is like the, the amount of work that Bree used to do for me while she was at work and now that she's not like I'm having to do the, the jobs the work of both of us so that that's noticeable I was working less days in the store beforehand and um, I was able to recover relax do my key workouts I was I didn't have to stay late at work I was like we weren't quite busy enough where I, I had to stay back and do extra work, whereas now it's inevitable. Like I'm every night, I stay back do work, and during the day, um, just at the moment while I build the business back and I retrain staff and I get the culture and I get the the systems in place at this new store that's required for it to be like a high performance environment. It's gonna take it's gonna take away from my running. Mm. Um, and 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 I think I have to come to terms with that because if I if I continue if I try to run hundred mile weeks on top of ten to twelve hour work days and then something's going to give and it's probably going to be like yeah exactly so I'm happy for it to be my running for a while and if I can maintain some stuff with an hour a day sometimes ninety minutes a day then then maybe there'll be an opportunity in the future, maybe even later this year, where I can um, I can actually focus on some running and see what comes of it. But at the moment, I'm, I'm quite content. I think it's important that you name it and don't try to push through because people do that and then something does end up breaking. It like could be you know your body because you train too hard or a relationship or a business or whatever it is. So, mm. it's, yeah, it's pretty cool yeah, that you've yeah. identified it. And you've been, and then, which is why I asked the question because I'm like, oh, I wonder if this has come across his, his radar kind of thing. Oh, it absolutely has. Um, it, it absolutely has, and it was like it was. It's coming to terms with it because for a while there, I did want to continue to run at a high level, and not just at a high level, but I wanted to to, to progress where I was and make teams and all that. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it's just not like this is our future. This like this store is our future. This is our end game. And if, if I don't get it right, like there's a lot of people that rely on this going well. Um, I think like my, like my family relies on this store doing well and it's going to take work, effort, time, everything to, to, um, to ensure its success. So that's what I invest in now rather than my running. Yeah, so you're kind of saying like you're sacrificing this, you know, possibly the last three or four years of this window for that. Yeah, yeah, like at the moment I am. Yeah. And, and that's but that could change right. in a couple of weeks' yeah. time. When things get in a routine, probably the first week's going to be pretty hard. I'm going to say months. I'm months. going to say there'll be a few months of it. And um, I'm not sure I'm not sure what the future holds, but it might, like I've got, a, I've got an idea to do Gold Coast Marathon, but I know that running a marathon for me of 120K a week is, is not going to achieve the same sort of things that I, I like had aspirations to do in the past uh like i'll get it done but even like within my training group like i might i'll be the, like i might be a mid-packer doing that sort of stuff so it'll be i think 
late in the year, maybe next year, where I, if I, if everything gets in order, I might be able to sneak it another day off. Because at the moment, I'm working seven days and and seven long days as well. So it's it's not possible to be an athlete like I was. Thanks for the honesty. Let's thank some Patreon supporters, eh? Croaks, kick us off. All right, I've got Hugh Stobart. Uh, Hugh lives in West Norwood, which is uh, in London. He's run 3.21 for the marathon, which was at the Chelmsford Marathon, 80 minutes at the big half, 36.13 for a 10K and 17.25 for 5K. Uh, does reps with the Windrush Club and also does a bit of biking as well. So thanks for your support, Hugh. Thanks, Hugh. Who you got, Moose? Well, sort of stitch it up a bit here, but some overshinners. Um, what, is, she popped up the, on your list? This is a girl from last week. You said she, you coach her and she hasn't been thanked yet. Yeah, but I, she didn't appreciate last week's shout-out. So, yeah, so um, this is the official but, one this week. Last all right, week was yeah, the impromptu so, one. Oh, did you want me to get some facts for you? No, I think I should remember something. Yeah, she yeah. ran under 35 minutes for, for 10K. She ran 76 minutes at Melbourne Half. She used to be an um, elite-level walker, used to go on, like, training camps all over, you know, did all their – they love studies, those walkers. They love to get in, like, and do weird hydration studies and stuff. Um, but she's training for – she runs now, so she uh, she's training for Gold Coast Marathon. Um, uh, she's got a sister you? who listens. Her sister listens to the show. She's got bad hips, apparently. That's all I've got. Will that be her debut, debut marathon? marathon? Yeah. Debut marathon. So, she what do you think? Seventy. I think she comes third at the five k frenzy the other week. Oh yeah, not a great race. Seventy six minutes for a half. What do you think that translates to? Uh, two forty. Yeah. Two forty ish. Two forty. That's a good. That's a good debut. Mm, take debut. that. Yeah. Don't have to run it. Take that. Take that instead. I'm going to thank yeah. Bradley Courtney Pin from London. He's quick. He's got an IAAF profile, fellas. Hard to get an IAAF profile. Um, 15.32 for 5K, 32.29 for 10K, 62 for the half, and he ran 2.32 at... 62 for the half? That's fine. What did I say? 69 for the half. He said 62. 2.32 for the full at uh, Seville a couple of weeks ago, Seville Marathon. So um, that's uh, I think that was his debut, maybe. No, he definitely ran... I think he ran London before that as well. So he'd be recovering at the moment off that race. Um, represents the Belgrave Athletics Club over there in London, which is friend of the show, I think. That's a club, friend club of the show. I think we've had mm-hmm. talked about them before. A few Australians rep those guys over there. So I similar. love that. Um, I love we've got all these British listeners that don't really listen to the Inside Jogging podcast. Yeah, I haven't heard these names come up when they uh, got their patrons. We're just like, we... They, they appreciate a little bit of like expertise, a little bit of organisation within oh, their podcast. Maybe yeah. just appreciate one of the co-hosts, like or both the co-hosts actually rocking up, not walking yeah, around the streets. That's right. Yeah. And then you can just hear them. They're actually watching. They talk about themselves watching Instagram at the, at the very yeah. time that they're. It's just mate, you're out jogging. I don't want to hear this when I'm out jogging. <laughs> Amateur hour. Amateurs over there. Uh, Running news, fellas. Let's start with Tokyo. This was yesterday. Start with the women's race croaks. Oh, who have I got? Moose, I got you down for this. Tell me about the women's oh, race. Yeah, well, I mate, I haven't watched a single thing. <laughs> this week is, that hasn't been a good week for watching. So it looks Bridget Cosguy, I saw one, two sixteen oh two, third number three all time. So is that behind that's 
That's behind a, behind herself and, and Paula, Paula Radcliffe. Oh wow, yeah. that's a big run. Um, was she solo the whole way? Did she have male paces? Did anyone watch? Yeah, male paces. I oh, tell you what, it's hard to watch these things, isn't it? I yeah. I had Flow Track open, but Flow Track were only broadcasting to America and Canada, so I couldn't watch it on there. Wasn't on Eurosport. Well, it was on Eurosport, but Foxtel don't carry Eurosport anymore. And then the streams were really dodgy, the dodgy stuff that was coming up on Facebook. And then I still had my flow track tab open. And I think we were about 10K to go. I just started working. Like I was just sitting there and all of a sudden mm. my computer started making noise. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then there hardly any, any women's footage. but And every time they threw to them, they had a lot of like men, sub-elite men around them. So it looked like they had a good pack. Um, and then, yeah, I think they were still together, like, 32 35k well those three those three of them within 11 seconds at 35k yeah 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 that's what i thought mm. yeah yeah they went pretty hard from the gun um well sorry i actually think they were pretty even i think they were on that 216 pace the whole time and she was pretty even and then a few people blew up mm. yeah so yeah and there and the coverage like brett Lana was the only guy commentating like imagine trying to commentate a marathon by yourself and he did make a couple of like um, comments about how he's not controlling what visuals you're seeing, and it's because the men's race it was all the Kipchoge show, the visuals of it. He even got to a stage where Kipchoge had finished, um, and they threw to his presentation and his interview whilst the women were at 40k, like no split screen, nothing. Like it's just yeah, like yeah. yeah, and it's yeah, it wasn't good for for women's coverage at all. And then Sarah Hall was down there in eighth. Did you say that 222? Did, did she go out hard? She, she went yeah, She went for the American record. Yeah. yeah, and then faded. So, um, yeah, that was a women's race. And the men's race is all about Kipchoge. And it's just, like, it, I've I said this to someone today. It's like watching a replay. He does the same thing every race. Yeah. Yeah. He's got his same NN, like, train partner pacemakers. Like, those guys are going to be more famous than anyone else in the field soon because they're the same guys that take, you know, like, 25, 30K every time. And then pretty much it's like who can stay with him one or two guys can stay with him until the paces drop out. And then he just puts in a surge at 35, 36K, gets rid of them all, and then um, runs it in. Like he and, not a grim- and not a grimace on his face the whole race. Makes it look easy. <laughs> um, 202.40, um, Amos Kipruto. I think he was second at Tokyo last time the event happened as well. He was he, he did a good job. Like He was only, what, 20, uh, 33 seconds back. He ran a big PB of 203.13. And then Tamarata Tola, who won Amsterdam Marathon last year, he was third in 204.14. But yeah, the Kipchoge show continues. And he's like, I don't know, what do you guys think about it? Because he's just, he's so bloody good. He is yeah, that much better than every single other human being on the planet. No one can get close to him. He gets it right. He gets it right every single time. The only time he didn't get it right is he blamed an ear thing. And. Mm. I think he's. I think he was telling the truth because he's just so good at what he does. It's, he's a, just, it's a robotic. It's like yeah. watching a robot. And that's what he, he just seems to, uh, I guess, thrive on, on, um, on fast marathons. Like when he, like the pain or the, the discomfort that he finds, he seems to just thrive on it. Like it makes him happy. Did someone's cat just get like attacked? Yeah, my cat. No, yeah. my cat's. Wasn't happy with the Kipchoge comments. <laughs> um, yeah, I and it, to me, it's almost getting a bit 
like it's an amazing performance, but it's almost getting a bit boring because I'm like, oh, this guy is leaps and yeah. bounds ahead of everyone else. And it's just like obviously his partner with Abbott, it's the Abbott World Marathon Majors, is probably going to win all of them now. Like the one good thing it could be is when they go to, when he goes to New York and or, Boston. Uh, Boston, they don't have paces. But I bet you he brings his paces and he just does the same thing. They go hard from the gun, get rid of everyone, I want to win it. Well, the hills is the the hills is the factor. He trains, not, he trains on hills. I know, like, yeah. but we don't see him race on hills. But it's like, just the whole, like we never see him other than two races a year. Like he never drops down for a ten or a half marathon. He's too clean cut for me now. Like everything he says in an interview is just the perfect answer. Like I want a scandal or something from Elliot. I'd, I think you'd almost like to see him rewrite a few of his shorter PBs. Yeah, just you just, know what I mean? like just enter thinking, another race. Yeah, puts himself away for like months and months leading into these races. Comes out bang. Like, don't get me wrong, like, amazing performance. But Are, are you almost, though, watching these rates? Because I didn't see much of it at all. Um, but, you know, this guy who finished second was with him up until, what, 35K. So it's somewhat, exci- yeah. it's somewhat exciting while ever there's one guy with him. Are you are you actually going for the underdog now? Going, I actually want to see somebody stick it to him and beat him? Yeah, kind of, I was, to be honest. And I, <laughs> and I, yeah. you know, but I actually, I cannot... I cannot work out how he can be that much better than everyone consistently. Like, I know he lost that one in London, but he is he's on a different, like, level than everyone else, which mm. which creates a bit of, like, well, how's he doing it? Like This one was pretty good, though. 33 seconds is not too bad. Yeah, he didn't absolutely destroy him. Well, but... how is he doing it? Like, this exactly. is the thing, right? It's, he is good all the time. He does not have a bad race ever. It just, um, it's phenomenal to, to see how unbeatable and how, like, dominant he is. It, it's, um, remember, like, this is no, in, in no way am I saying anything <laughs> like that. But you remember watching the, when you used to watch, like, the tour, and you would be like, Lance Armstrong's going to win this race, and it's, like, so obvious, and he does it, and he does it easily, and it's like, okay, well next one seven in a row kind of thing you're like mm. he's just gonna win um we know he's gonna win before he starts um that's kind of like that's how dominant he is i've got yeah. a conspiracy theory that he could be artificial intelligence okay hear me out here when did he go when did it not work for him london wet got to, got into the wiring i reckon had a bad day you reckon he's like a um, he's a robot I reckon Terminator like, yeah something's going on they just wire him to run these quick marathons he, his face looks like the Terminator like he's been um, someone had to teach him how to show pain hmm. he makes it look easy anyway that's that that's that what else running news we got here fellas anything else to talk about oh yeah Australian record we'll go there this just happened a couple of hours ago um, so we've got the 1500 first croaks because we had two boys, or we had one boy, Australian and New Zealander in there. Yeah, so Ollie Hoare, it was pretty much Ollie Hoare versus George Beamish from New Zealand, and uh, it came down to 100th of a second. Um, so Ollie was in front, uh, I think going into the straight, and then George went past him. So it was 336.54. Oh, sorry, 5'3 to 336.54. So, um, yeah, Ollie just got pipped by his training partner and good mate, um, Geordie Beamish. Wasn't he? I think I read somewhere he was third with 150 metres to go, Beamish. All right. He loves a, yeah, loves a kick. There were some good tweets going on about him today, just like, 
Like he forgets he's in a race until about 200 metres to go and then figures out how to win them. I'm surprised they didn't go faster, though. Like, that's – um. Like, I think this is the problem now. Ollie runs so well all the time that you look at 336 and you're like, oh, Ollie's, Ollie's had a, an had off a day. day. Yeah, well, there was it. There was only like five in the field, I think. There were five mm. finishes, a pacer. Let me tell you, I've got the splits here. They went, um, Ollie went 43 for the first 300 and then 57, 58, 57. So pretty yeah, even. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I actually, I think that they were... I heard on their podcast that they were looking to kick down off like a steady pace because I think there was a few people there that were trying to get the world championship standard okay. and they wanted they wanted to do it off you know like a comfortably hard tempo through 800 as opposed to stringing them out and having like your typical 331 332 1500 meter pace yeah and the pace had got them to 700 yeah which yep. is probably a bit shorter than usually the paces will get them for um, in the 10K, has been, I think they just put the interview out with Jack Rayner. So we've talking, spoken to him already. Maybe you've listened to that episode. Um, he broke the Australian record. He ran 27.15. He broke the Australian record, which was Pat Tiernan's, by seven seconds. Pat was in the same race. He was 14th in 27.45. Grant Fisher won the race in an American record of 26.33. Um, and Mohamed, he broke the Canadian record in second place as well with a 26.34, I think it was. They were pretty close, those two boys coming across the line. Elise Cranny, nearly, I think she missed the American record by one second. She three, ran, three, I think. Was it three seconds? Yeah. What'd she yeah. run? 30.14? Uh, yeah, 30.13 or 30.14, yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, some good night's performances over there at the Sound Running, the 10. Um, mm. I think it was called in California. So... Other quick bits of results here, fellas. Um, Abby Caldwell, she ran a really quick 1,500 PB up at Bankstown. She ran 404.7. That puts her eighth fastest Australian all-time, um, just behind George Griffiths and Jenny Blundell with 404s and 404s. So she's in pretty good company mm. there for someone pretty young, 20 years old. And Tim Vincent, he also, I think he's only 21 or 22 as well, Tim Vincent from the Gold Coast Run Co., up north, he went over to Rome to run a half marathon over there, and he finished, I think it was in 12th or 13th position, but he ran 61.43, which puts him at number 10 all-time. And then there was a world record over in South Africa. Um, Where have I... I've got, I haven't got the name there, fellas. He raced Juma. Steve, Steve, no, the for the 50K, wasn't it um, Stephen Makoko? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Stephen Makoko, who raced you at Doha Moose at the World Champs, 207 guy. Did you see him? Yeah, he was good there, though, wasn't he? Makoko? At the World Champs. Yeah, I think. Oh, I didn't look that, he's done real well, though. He's been on the scene for a very long time. Oh, yeah, he's legit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he broke the 50K road world record. He ran 240.13, which is 312 pace. It's two thirteen marathon split. That's that's pretty quick. Cool. Yeah, that's it's very good. But where was this? Where did he do this? It was in South Africa as well. It was an invitation race over there. Um, yeah, they love that shit over there. They love those long road races. Yeah, and comrades and all those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to look up where he did finish at the World Champs, Moose. Can't see it here. But he's um he's done ah. some interesting marathons. He's done three in yeah, Korea, China, Japan, Poland. Well, loves, the cash. loves the cash, I reckon. Chasing some over there. Um, so that's pretty cool. He's run Cape Town. He won Cape Town a couple of times. Oh, was that the so, same year that Ali ran there? 
Yeah, but he also won it again a couple of other times, I think. I reckon it's big there, big in Cape Town. Big in Cape Town. Yeah, he finished seventh. Yep. He's around 59, 30, 36 at the half, seventh at the World Half Champs oh. in 2020. Oh. Lake so, BY, he comes second at Lake BY 2020. Did he? 208. Yeah, yeah. Well. This guy's legit. Like, he is. Yeah. Yeah. This is what happens when good runners do ultra marathons, right? Yeah, okay. This is what happens. They've never done it before. Mm. And so, like, there was a glory period for ultra marathon. It's like when it was getting big, but no one paid it much attention, um, like, none of the good runners. And all of a sudden, guys like the 208 guys, the 207 guys do it and run world records. Of course, that was we. everyone said that was going to happen, but the, the ultra guys were like, no, no, it's different physiology, and no, nah, they can't do it, and yes, they can do it. So, Moose, you raced this guy twice in 2019 because he he finished third at Lake Biwa that year in 207.58, and then he finished fifth at the World Championships in 211.09. Fifth. Yeah, remember this bloke was... He was the guy that got up on stage, Brady, and made us all sing and shit. Oh, this remember? was this guy. Yeah, that was that guy. Stephen I'm Makoka. sure it was him. I reckon mm. he got Didn't up we sing and Happy like, Birthday. That's, that's like his whole lot of different nationalities. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, and he made us. He, he was like, How yeah, was he him? was trying to get all the all the nations like doing the doing the same dance and stuff. Oh, and, that was um, him. Small yeah, world. Yeah, I, I reckon that was him. And yeah. A few Moroccans in there, a few Japanese, a few Australians, a few Americans. Yeah. That was a good night, that one. All right, this is a new segment coming at you this week. This is a similar segment that we ran leading up to the Nike Melbourne Marathon a couple of weeks ago, but this one's all about the Great Ocean Road Marathon, the Kaiser 2022 Great Ocean Road Running Festival that's happening the 14th and 15th of May down obviously at the great ocean road and we're pretty lucky with this segment because we've got the king of the great ocean road marathon i think he's a four-time winner julian spence that's you isn't it four-time or five-time or three thanks, time? For, thanks for having me on brady it's an absolute honor to have you on this podcast julian spence welcome <laughs> yeah no i've been this is my home race grew up in anglesey i remember the first one they ever did it actually got um got televised on tv back in the day they brought out kenyans it was run by yeah, an, what year would have that been uh, oh, gee, it would have been like 2005-ish, 2003 maybe, around that early time. Um, it was a bloke called John Craven put it on, and he used to do the Otway Classic. So you remember the Otway, all the old fellas talk about the Otway yeah. Classic. It used to be a four- or five-day race, and um, everyone used to run there, and then they brought Africans in as well. It was a real spectacle. And so John Craven, he put that on down. He put the Great Ocean Road Marathon on, and they had cameras. It was on TV. And there was, I think at the very beginning, there was like a million-dollar bonus if you broke the world record. World record. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, like, he, he was a showman. And But the race, what it, it turned into like an international-type race where a lot of the field is from overseas because they see these pictures of – how, I mean, how beautiful the Great Ocean Road is. I talk about it all the time, but that's the best section of the road is from Lawn to Apollo Bay. It's You're basically running on the side of a cliff the whole time. You have the ocean on your left. You have cliffs and, and forest on your right. And, yeah, it's it's epic. It is an epic um, kind of – an epic – venue for a running race and it's closed roads the whole way isn't it like you literally run on the great ocean road not like the little bike path or the little sandy path next to it not no it's closed it it's closed the whole way it creates some 
drama for people getting to Apollo Bay. That's because there's only one way in or out of all the small towns along the way. And so, that is the Great Ocean Road. Great, oh, yeah, it's the Great Ocean It's the photos one. It's where they film all the car ads. They put the cars up on the side because it's so good. It send them, send them all through, like, the world because they um, cause it is an iconic location. Australia's most stunning running event. That's their claim, and you live down there. You can back yeah, that up. Yeah, I'll back that up. And also probably, like, the most um, prestigious running race in Australia as well. <laughs> probably the hardest marathon to win. <laughs> to win it. How many times Here have you go. won it? Get that out. Four, oh, you, four times. Is it four course. times? Is it back to back to back to back? Yeah, it is. I came row. second once. I came second once. Oh, I don't, yeah. You I reckon. came second one year to Pete Kerr. Remember he nearly got you? Uh, no, he didn't nearly get me, actually. I, I actually, I, full, I was fully in control. Wasn't it like eight day. seconds or something over the yeah. marathon? I reckon if you go back to the episode where you recap it, you would have mentioned that you were actually thought you were in trouble at one point. Nah, fully in control. <laughs> no problems there. Have you ever run at Croaks? No, I haven't. But, you know, in terms of iconic events, you know, like people that come, international people that come to Australia, like the Great Ocean Road is on their bucket list. So to be able to run on that road, it's, it's sort of like being able to run over the Sydney Harbour Bridge in a way in terms of iconic places in Australia to run. Um, so, and it's also one thing I've noticed, it's quite an inclusive event there. Like there's like nine different events on over the weekend, all the way from like a 1500 meter kids gallop on the Saturday to the 60 K ultra and, and trail races as well. So do you want to talk a bit about the different races moves on the Saturday? So there's like a kids mm. gallop, a 6 K and a 14 K. Yeah. So it always, the setup used to be the Saturday was the shorter runs down in Apollo Bay and you'd get a lot of the AV runners come down and do them. Uh, it's still the same. 6K used to go up to Mariner's Lookout, which was like one of the most brutal 6K runs you can ever do. It was like straight up and straight down. But now they go down to uh, Marengo. So there's like a nice little dirt path, run down to Marengo and back. And then 14K Paradise Run goes out the back of Apollo Bay to a place called Paradise through sort of some rainforest area. Um, both are pretty... Like I, I like both these runs. I've I've done training runs on the Paradise Run, and it's um it's a beautiful place to run, and the kids gallop gets a lot of people because the the, the parents run on the Sunday that or even later in the afternoon on the Saturday, but they normally make a weekend of it and they they stay down there so the kids can do stuff as well, and and on the Sunday, it's um traditionally it was it was the half and the full marathon which you are, are a little longer because it's town to town it's pub to pub basically the the marathon started starts at the lawn pub finishes at the apollo bay middle pub and it's 44ish k it's not it's longer than a marathon you actually get a marathon split and a half marathon timing mat where you get your recorded marathon result uh, but the the actual race continues on after that for like another kind of mile plus um which is which is pretty hard work mentally <laughs> um to go past the marathon line and keep running especially if there's a race going on but the the half marathon starts at kennett river and it's 23k um for the full event now the new events that they've put in the first one they put in was 60k ultra marathon which is the marathon course but in two different locations you turn right and you run up hill and you do an out and back up a, off, of, off a 
in a couple of locations to add on the extra 16k and they're pretty hard little uphills so it's no like flat 60k and the um the trail runs to be honest i actually have never really seen these because they start after the marathon starts um and they run they start in lawn and they go up into the uh like the um the erskine area in lawn so pretty nice i don't know much about the walk i'll be honest i haven't seen that one but i think they um they go into the bush as well i did the half marathon one year bit hilly early and then it kind of rolls downhill doesn't it well yeah the main hills so the main hills in the half are after kennett river you go you go up a hill you drop down and then you go up from gray river where if you've ever been on the great ocean road there's like a koala area um, so you run through this sort of koala area where there's heaps of koalas in the trees and you run uphill for probably, well, I'm going to say it's like a 600-meter hill and then you get to Cape Patton and Cape Patton is the highest point on the course. It's also where you can, it's almost like, um, it's like a headland kind of thing where you, you can see Apollo Bay for the first time. So the marathoners get their first look at the actual finish line from there and you you can you get different winds at that point because you start running in a slightly different direction and you don't get the you don't get the protection from the cliffs as much mm. um but yeah it gets flatter after that point yeah because it can be windy but the wind kind of like rolls around a bit in those like mm. i remember yeah. the year i did it, it felt like we're running a headwind and then all of a sudden you take one of those tight corners and then even though it feels like you're going in the same direction point to point all of a sudden you're not getting slammed by a headwind anymore all I remember are headwinds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there's, it, it normally went good year, bad year, good year, bad year. But um, I remember I was really fit one year and I got just like the, the, the most hideous headwind at the 30K mark. And I remember thinking, I'm on for 220 today. I was on 220 pace and I felt really good at 30K. And then I turned the corner at the top of that cape and I just felt this westerly hit me. And I'm like, oh, it's not happening today. It's not happening at all today, and so uh, that was a shame. We're but gonna, you, we're going to hear a lot of stories in the next couple of weeks, Crokes. I think yeah. so. Stories. Mate, I can tell you. You just ask me what year. I'll tell you word for like minute by minute. <laughs> um, yeah, they're, they're still yet to have a southeast. I mean, a um, oh, it'll be a northeasterly, which will be like the full tailwind down. They just—it's a rare wind for May. It's more of a uh, summer wind, so we don't see the full tailwind that often. Okay, so if you registered before April 5th, complimentary bib postage. Anyone registering after that date will need to collect their race bib at the pre-event. And there's a whole lot of activities that go on around the whole weekend, Moose. Obviously, it's a bit of a festival, a bit of live music, yoga, uh, a kite festival. Explain what that is down there on the beach. What do you do? Just fly kites and stuff. Inflatable sports park for the kids. Sounds good. It's inflatable sports park. I'm guessing that's like um, like jumping castles and stuff. The kite festival, yeah, no, nah, that's not really my scene, but I'm sure it'll get get some crowds. I like the sound of the um, glamping, to be honest, because Kennet River, that's the start point. You, yeah, that's where you start for the half marathon, isn't for it? For the half marathon, yeah. yeah. So it's a difficult place to get to because it's on a – Great Ocean Road and one way in, one way out, you can't really get back there until the buses start coming back after the race. And so ideally, if you if you score one of these glamping tents, then you can wake up at the start line. 
and you head into a poly, you, you do the race, you chuck your bag on the truck, takes it in with your wallet, your phone, whatever. You finish the race, change your clothes, get changed, go to the pub, hang out at the end, the expo, the village, and then you just catch the buses back to Kennet River and uh, you're all good. Jump back in the tent. That mm. sounds all right, doesn't it? Sounds like a good weekend. 14th and 15th of May 2022, put it in your diary, listeners. Great Ocean Nine Road. weeks. Nine weeks, Brady, from this weekend. Plenty so of time, plenty of time Croke. to get fit. I come second there, Croak, so I haven't got a win down there yet. Who I might get you? down there. Um, ben Ashkettle beat me. Steve Deneen, third. Well, that's when Ben Ashkettle was flying. Mm. He used to be pretty good. He went first hill. Like, you know I'm pretty good on hill for hills, fellas, but I let him go <laughs> and then never... I don't think he put the three minutes into us. Well, Brady... Brady, Brady he, maybe... Yeah, he ran real quick. I think he split 65 for the half that day. Maybe this is your year. Get to uh, get down to greatoceanroadrunfest.com.au and register. You know the prize money's always the good down there as well. Mm-hmm. When I come, you know who's always down there in the 14K on the Saturday, just smacking up kids, smacking up anyone who's racing him? Steve Montagetti. Yeah, he does run that one He's a lot. He's always there at the 14K, smacking anyone who's on that start line. <laughs> He'll be listening to this. He'll be down there. He'll be putting it in his diary. Uh, I'm going to skip listening to question, fellas, because it's a big episode as it is. Uh, got a moose on the loose, purchase of the week for me? Uh, oh, I bought some new treadmills for the store. <laughs> Wasn't there any yeah. – didn't they have them in the store already? Or you just want to upgrade straight ones. up? Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Nothing but the best for moose. Yeah. Moose is taking over. You should over run on these things. They are just the smoothest – like, croaks, we talked about treadies for a while. Yeah. Oh, I got the good ones, mate. I got the good ones now. Got some techno gyms. Techno gym. And um, got the new iPads. Like, we do a lot of gait assessment in the store. So I got these new iPad Pros. um, I can get 240 frames a a second in 1080 HD. Oh, boy. Like, I can slow stuff down. It's like Hollywood in my store right now. Um, So... If you want to come in and experience absolute premium fitting, like the best shoe store you've ever been in, outside Ballarat might be equal. Come in, come in because uh, we'll take care of you. Had some people come in, like heard that I was going to be on the floor. Had a few listeners roll in over the weekend. Did they? Got the uh, got the five star five star treatment. Should be a secret word you mentioned. If you hear hear this on the show, you get like ten percent off or something. You don't. You can't discount service. <laughs> can't discount this type of service. Say Brad Croker, twenty twenty or something, and get our ten percent off. Hey, Moose. Um, on the topic of uh, treadmills, we've had ours now for about six months. Are you happy with the purchase? Because I know, like, I love having a treadmill. It's so yeah, good. I am absolutely, yeah. especially when I wake up at five thirty and it's pitch black outside and it's raining. I, I couldn't. I'm like, I'm not running out there. That looks terrible. I'm going to put Netflix on, watch a brilliant movie. Like, it, yeah, and like in winter, like, too. Like, like we've had it in summer, and like it's going to be a game changer come winter. And I find even on a Saturday afternoon, it's like, oh, I could drive out to Mulligan's or I could just walk 15, 20 mm. metres down the hall and jump on the treadmill and you watch. Is so um, soft. Imagine what watch, Rapsy no, can listen to this. Watch a bit of, uh, I don't know, watch a bit of footy or whatever on the iPad. So good. Just yeah. put the old wireless on. Just listen to the footy on your radio while you're running. Did Damn, you know? Nature. Brad, I actually you guys watched, are turned soft though. I, I watched Point Break two on the on the treadmill the other day. Oh, did you? It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I have no idea what we would like how they got that so bad. But that happens a lot though. That happens a lot when they oh. bring out like a sequel. 
wasn't even close. It was just mm. dreadful. And I was disappointed, but I thought of you during it. <laughs> we're going to skip train and talk as well, fellas. But Deke's quarters, we're going to talk about that next week. All right. Yeah. that, give you a week preparation. Thought yeah. that'd be a good thing to talk about. After Who's that. talking about it? Is that your, you got that one? Yeah, well, it's kind of a panel discussion about it, but. Um, no, yeah. one person's got to own it. You oh, yeah, go. I'll you read gotta... it, but I want to know your thoughts on it. I don't think you guys would have done too many Deke's quarters over your times, though. Yeah, I've done it, done it yeah, a few times. Have you? Yeah. yeah, not many times in the last five years since we've been doing this. Though. No, haven't done it. Maybe do it once, I reckon. In the last yeah. five years, yeah. I've yeah. done. I used to do it every once, Thursday. I did it every Thursday for five years. And a three quarters one. That really in the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought five I'd, years, you did it every day, every, every Thursday. Thursday. I'd wake up every Thursday oh. morning, just hating life that it was Thursday because I knew how much pain I'd be in when I had to do that workout. So you basically flogged yourself every time you did it. I actually found my old training diary from 2013 the other day, took a photo of it, sent it through to Archie, and I'm like, I was pretty much racing like three yeah. times a week. I'd love, yeah, so you're the type of guy that there was absolutely no difference between the 400 on and the 200 float. No, no, there was. I'd always try It was just a 4.8K time trial. Yeah, I know. I'd always try to hit like 68s for the fours on and then like 40s for the float, but then I'd punch the last 200. And then I, my whole day would be impacted about what I hit for Deke's quarters. Yeah. Like if I'd be happy. But I, I sent him a photo of this the other day. I did Monofartlek on a bush trail on a Tuesday. I, I averaged 303 pace, like 6.5K. The Wednesday I ran 20K at 5am at 4.10 pace and 8K in the afternoon at like 4.13 pace. And then the Thursday I did 10 400s in 63. And I'm like... They had just, I was just racing those workouts. And I ran 14.30 for 5K. Like, I didn't even run anywhere near my best. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I sent it through to him. I'm like, this is what we don't want to do. This is what we're talking about when we said A workouts last week. Anyway, we'll talk about that in more detail next week. Uh, what's coming up, fellas? Box Hill Burn. That's coming up tomorrow night. Have you seen oh, the yeah, fields for good. this? Yeah, that'll be a good watch. What about the state champion, Tom Thorpe, 13.58 guy, is in the B race. It's that deep. Oh. Have you seen the fields for, for it? I briefly looked at them, but I've been no, I haven't. Incredible. Really. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be tomorrow night. I'm sure Athletics exclusive are doing the stream there. National um, 3K on Saturday. Yeah, where's that? Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, part of the Sydney Track Classic. Who, who else is on the start list there? Um, Jai Edwards, Ooh. Rory Hunter, a few of the guys from Stewie? the US have come back. Uh, no, Stewie's on the Stewie's in that 5K, isn't he? Yeah, he's in the yeah. He's yeah, in the 5K um, tomorrow night. Brett Robinson's Ka- pacing it. Cameron Griffith has come back, Tin Man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's yeah others, but Kai Robinson. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, oh actually, no, no, sorry, Kai Robinson's not. No. Okay. Jude Thomas is. Oh yeah, he's in the 5K as well though. Yeah. Okay. It's a big week doing a 5K on a Tuesday and a 3K on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up as well. That's good. Um, YouTube channel, boys and girls. We've got the uh, Rab interview up there, and we've also going to put Josh Kerr up there as well. So if you're into your visuals, you can see what these interviews look like, um, yeah, visually up there. And that leads in well to this week's interview is with Josh Kerr, the bronze medalist from the Olympics, uh, Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Yeah, a bit of a surprise there, wasn't it, fellas, that bronze? I thought it was at the time, but after listening to this interview, I'm like, oh, it was it was destined to happen. Yeah, I think it was just, like, that is a sign of how good that 1,500 metres was because it was just so, like, it was so open and there was, like, just about all the major countries were represented. Mm. Yeah. And I found, like, I didn't know, I knew, like, he was dominant at the NCAA stuff. And this is what I said to Luke because Luke Matthews, 
He's uh, doing some work for the Inside Runner podcast now, so he'll be uh, featuring some interviews coming forward. And I thought he did a really good job at this one first up. But um, I said to Luke, I've, I went from not knowing a lot about this guy, like obviously knowing his name, to being like one of his biggest fans after hearing his attitude for the sport and, and the kind of his stories about how he trains and all those kind of things after listening to this interview. So um, it's really good. You'll hear part one of it this week and then part two of it next week. Um, he did recently broke the UK indoor mile and 1,500-meter record in the same race just last week as well. So he's fresh off that from Scotland. I think I've said enough about him. So, uh, yeah, enjoy that. And that's it, fellas. What's coming up, Moose? Sailing shoes? Yes, sailing shoes. Croaks, what's coming up for you? Uh, we've got a long weekend coming up, and uh, the Raiders kick off the season on Friday night. Oh, who we got? Sharks. Will we win? Mm, don't know. We lost our halfback for four months. Before what injured? <laughs> yeah, in a trial match. <laughs> so not a great, not a great start. Could be a long season for the Raiders. Mm. All right, fellas, we'll do it all again next week. Thanks for your time, listeners. Enjoy these interviews. See you, boys. See you, mate. See you later. Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand, Pillar Performance, is leading the way when it comes to high-strength formulations to support running performance. Pillar's range is purposely formulated to support optimal recovery, elevate energy production, relieve joint inflammation, and boost immunity. Pillar has become the choice of Australian sport thanks to their formulation quality and batch testing program. Currently working with Ben St. Lawrence, Izzy Bat Doyle, and Riley Cox, along with more than 30 professional sporting teams across the country. Pillar's range is led by Motion Armor, a revolutionary joint inflammation and longevity formula perfect for those with a high training load on the track, trails, or road. When it comes to recovery, their best-selling triple magnesium powder is leading the way, featuring three forms of bioavailable magnesium to optimize recovery, improve sleep, and have you backing up after every session. The Pillar team has an exclusive offer for Inside Running listeners. Head to their website and use the code INSIDERUN to receive a free sports bottle and travel tin, valued at $15.99 with any purchase. To redeem this offer, or for more information on Pillar Performance and their range of sports micronutrition, head to pillarperformance.com.au. This week's guest on the Inside Running Podcast is Josh Kerr. Josh is a Scottish 1500m runner who won a bronze medal in the 1500m at the Tokyo Olympics behind Jacob Ingebrigtsen and Timothy Chariot. Josh holds impressive PBs of 145, 329 and 1323 outdoors. Just recently, Josh broke the 1500m and mile British indoor record in the same race, running 332.8 on route to running a 348 mile. Before Josh turned pro, he was a successful junior, winning the 1500 metres at the 2015 Under 20 Euro Championships, a year before making the 1500 metre final at the 2016 World Junior Championships. Josh attended the University of New Mexico, where he won three national championships and broke the NCAA 1500 metre record, which stood until last year. In 2018, Josh decided to forego his remaining eligibility and sign a contract with the Brooks Beast, 
under the guidance of Danny Mackey. Away from athletics, Josh co-hosts a successful podcast with Brooks Beast teammate David Ripich, named Sit and Kick. Josh, thanks for coming on and welcome to the Inside Running Podcast. Thank you very much. I think uh, I'm very proud that you introduced me as Scottish and not British. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, that is a, it's it's a thing as well. I feel like the Scottish the Scottish athletes are really proud that they're Scottish as well. But if you're anywhere else, it's British. Yeah, I know. It, like it should be British, but I think it's quite funny when when we're Scottish. I think that's funny. Yeah, and it's funny as well. I spoke to um when I spoke to Jake Whiteman at the tail end of 2018. I was like, "What are you more proud of um in 2018, the Euro or the Commonwealth Games medal?" And he's like, "Oh, probably probably Commonwealth Games because because I ran for Scotland." <laughs> um, hey, it makes sense. Like I think you know, obviously, Commons are every four years, but. Um, being able to compete even against all the other Brits at a major, like I think it's, I think it's pretty cool. We got the Aussies in there as well, haven't we? So, yeah, yeah that's a good, that's a good medal to have. Yeah, the, the, yeah, Commonwealth Games medals are really hard to get. So, <laughs> <laughs> here he goes, mate. I don't have one. Um, yeah. So, um, so where, where are you based at the moment? I think you said you're in New Mexico. So I'm in New Mexico at the moment. Um, you know, my, my missus lives out here. My fiance lives out here. So um, we have two weeks of downtime off training because um, uh, after indoors before before we start ramping it up for outdoors. So I'm in Albuquerque, Trace, spending a little bit of time with her, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll try to get up into like the split up of New Mexico to Seattle soon. Um, but obviously the most recent result today is the is your most recent race at Boston. Um, so you just want to maybe talk a little bit about that because, um, one, not only was it impressive, but the thing that I liked the most about it was you were so public in, public in saying, I'm going to break the 15 and the mile in the same race. And it's like, fuck, it's a, it's a pretty big call, but you went out and did it. So <laughs> a, um, yeah, give us a little rundown on that. Yeah, man, it was it was a, an accumulation of a lot of hard work between kind of Ray, my my agent, and Danny, kind of sorting that race out. And so I got in trouble a little bit and week off the race for keep like like continuing to talk about it like publicly because I think they were having a hard time like keeping the field size kind of like smaller because there's not a lot of time where you're gonna get pretty much guaranteed a pacer through you know a, a full mile race. So a lot of college kids wanted to be involved. Obviously, a lot of pros want to be involved because it's a fast race, but. Yeah, it, uh, there was a lot of effort on kind of their side of things to put it together. And then it was just, about, uh, you know, up to me to, to turn up and, and do the job. But it was a very enjoyable race. And I knew I knew I'd get the mile record. I think the 15 was going to be difficult. Um, and, you know, I was able to snatch that one. So, yeah, it was it was tough. And um, because I don't want to run world indoors, um, I have really no interest in doing that. Then it was like a, a bit of a fun opportunity to try and run as quickly as possible. And there's a bit of history to get in there. And, you know, obviously we've got the new Brooks bikes as well. So we've got to show them off and running as fast as we can. So, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun uh, in Boston last week. Yeah, pretty incredible. And um, did you did you feel like you had a bit of um something to to get back after after Ollie beat you at Milrose like did you feel like you had to get one back and 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 go quicker or or anything like that yeah man it was I'm a bitter man you see look like that's the way it goes you know when someone when someone beats me regardless who it is I take it rather personally and so you know I was like you know what I'm gonna put four weeks of hard training in here and we're gonna do something special for to make people forget about that Milrose performance yeah, and I, I think I think that's why you're such an interesting character as well. Is that 
not only are you, you know, a great athlete, 329, um, bronze medalist, the Olympics, um, you know, awesome college runner. Um, I feel like you, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, it's like, I feel like you do always run with um, a bit of a motive and like a bit of a, almost like a bit of a chip on the shoulder. And I think that some people could think that's a negative thing, but I think that's an incredibly positive thing. So um, is that something that's just, just, just come out recently or is that something that you've always had throughout as a junior? I think I've had a little bit more of the spotlight recently. So people have kind of noticed me a little bit more, but to be honest, I feel like I've had it my whole life where it's like, you know, this sport, you're not handed anything. You're not, you're not able to hide like you are in other team sports, you know, in a, on a rugby field, on a, you know, on a, on a football field, something like that, where, you know, your performance is, is solely up to you. And so I feel like when I'm out um, racing, I'm always proving um, how good I am because, you know, you can be, um, you know, the man, like Donovan Brazier was the man in 2019, and then he doesn't make the, the Olympic team in 2021. And so people kind of forget how good he is just because of one bad performance. So I feel like you continually have to prove how good you are to keep the audience. And so I always, whenever I race, I never take it for granted. I know that people are watching and people expect, you know, a hard, fast race and a bit of a show. So yeah, I feel like I uh, I bring that, but it's also yeah, it's difficult. It's probably why I race less than than most. Yeah, I think yeah, and 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 you said a good point as well there that um you don't want to be you always want to be proving and always wanted to be getting it better, and that's and that's, that's your way of dealing with that. Um, and I think it also goes to show like the type of athlete, like you know, say a Mofara or a Century, it's people who have been at that level for so long. There's a reason why they do that, and maybe they have that as well. Um, and just, just quickly before we get into the rest of the conversation, um, what was the main reasoning for not wanting to go to world indoors? So I think for me, you know, I haven't won worlds. I haven't medaled at worlds outdoors. Uh, and I really feel like that's, those are the kind of moments that I'm looking for. Um, I really couldn't care less about a world indoor medal. I like, you know, everyone's different and everyone has their own career paths um and and that's completely fine like I'm not judging anyone that has a world indoor medal or that wants to go to indoor worlds but the way that my body works and the way that my motivation works is you know outdoor medals are are superior so why go for indoor ones so yeah I'm not someone that can peak like four or five times a year and run these crazy um crazy times consistently week in week out I'm someone that needs to take some time and build up to a race and really have some motivation and focus on it so for me it was just like you know it's bad timing March you know middle of March and so kind of I'm taking a bit more of a downtime before we ramp up for an outdoor 5k and so if I ran in March um, and then took some downtime then or downtime and then I'm just a little bit behind my body's uh my body fluctuates quite a lot in the way it trains, you know, uh, my downtime is pretty down and my, my on time is pretty on. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching. Uh, I love, you know, I love um, that kind of competition, but it just wasn't really for me this year. And um, I really value outdoor worlds and that's, that's my big focus of the year. Yeah. And, um, and, and although you said uh, you, 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 you're looking forward to watching, would you say that you're a you're a fan of Ollie Hall, or is he a is he a rival that you hate? The, I, that's the thing is like you know there's there's some beef getting started on the internet, and uh, I do like to be involved in that. Uh, the thing is, from from gun to tape, we are you know arch enemies. You know, what I mean, we're we're gonna go at it, and uh, there's lots on the line for us because you know, I feel like we're reasonably similar similar athletes in the way that we attack races. 
Um, and, you know, I would like to be the one on top and he wants to be the one on top. But, you know, outside of, um, you know, race day, I, I do think that we actually are, we'd get along, well, we do get along quite well. But that's what fuels that fire a little bit more of like, you know, I think he wants to be on top. I want to be on top. And uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy that competition. I also like there's a lot of really nice people in, in, in this sport. And so it's difficult to have enemies. So you really try and find them. But yeah, he's he's not one off the track. But on the track, um, we'll produce some pretty awesome races outdoors. Yeah, no, I figured that I um could, even though it's not like I've asked you both necessarily, but even though you kind of see that attention, a bit of rivalry, I was uh, fully aware that you guys would be friends off the track. Um, but as well as that, you guys have competed each other and had some pretty epic um, NCAA performances together. So uh, it's good viewing and what you guys are only 24. So chances are you're probably going to be doing this for another two Olympic cycles or something like that. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the big yeah. goal. Yeah, hopefully I can get myself into one of them, but we'll see. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just before I get into Josh Kerr, the pro athlete, I, w- I wouldn't mind just getting into a little bit about Josh Kerr, kind of the junior. So um, you were based in uh, Glasgow, was it? And you um, you you had a, had a junior coach. So can you just tell me a little bit about your time leading up until, let's say, um, 2015? Yeah, so I, I got in the sport. So I grew up in Edinburgh. Uh, my my coach who coached me through um, probably the year of 2015 and, and to um, Euro Juniors was from Glasgow. So he kind of coached me from afar. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I grew up and trained in Edinburgh. And that's kind of, I went through um, two coaches in Edinburgh and then I got the coach in Glasgow that coached me through until I got to, to you know, be a Lobo out here in University of New Mexico. So, yeah, it was um, it was just learning. Like my parents weren't, you know, professional runners. My dad was a professional rugby player, but um, so he knew what it, what it took to be a professional sports person. But you know, we were all kind of learning together. Of, you know, what 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 does an athlete need, and and what do you do on a daily basis to be kind of that best athlete and take that next step in your career? So growing up, it was always you know, research, you know, speaking to people who have done it before. And, and you know, we we're lucky enough at Edinburgh AC to, to be surrounded by a lot of really successful athletes. So, you know, the questions were always being able to get answered at that club. And you could always see where that next step was, um, even on a Tuesday, Thursday, when we're down at the track. So, yeah, we we're very lucky in that way. Yeah. And I, I think the coolest thing about Edinburgh was um, you obviously ran and, and still do run for Edinburgh Athletic Club. Um, you were able to go to the 2017 World Championships and all three were Scottish athletes from the same athletics club. Uh, I, I know that you did a fair bit of running with Chris O'Hare in the juniors and you, you were in the same running group. Did you cross over much with uh, Jake Whiteman? So we never trained together. Um, we were in different training groups, but he was, well, I don't know, I think he's three years older than me. Um, and so like I would watch his progress. We actually did a myself, my brother and him. We did a like a relay, a cross country relay when we were younger. It was like under I think it was under 13 does a does a loop and then passed it to the under 15 was my brother. And then the under 17, which was, you know, Whiteman. So that was that was a lot of fun. So we have some fun photos from that. And that was, you know, way back when. Um, but we never trained together, but it was always we know who he was. And, and you know, if questions needed to be asked, like he was obviously the 2013 year old junior champ. And so 
the coach that I had who was based in Glasgow was, you know, reached out to, you know, Jeff Whiteman, uh, Jake's dad and asked them like a million questions. And we were able to get on a phone call with him and, and we were just, yeah, just picking the brains and uh, yeah, massively helpful, you know, growing up at Edinburgh AC and having someone like that, who's been there, done that uh, to, to kind of help us guide the way. Yeah. Yeah. Great foundations. And uh, yeah, it, it does seem like British athletics seem to have very good, um, under 20, 1500 meter runners. Like I think from 2013 to 2019 has pretty much all been British, British athletes who have won under 20 championships. Uh, so it's good to have the, it's good to have people around you that are, that are setting up the future. Obviously the, 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 the tail end of your, um, junior career, uh, you won the European championships in 2015. And then I'm assuming you started college not long after that. Uh, just run me through the process of, of starting at New Mexico, uh, why you started at New Mexico, and did that success at all help with, you know, getting a, getting a start at a college? Um, and, and, yeah, did it, did, it, did it make your time easier or anything like that? So I got recruited there when I was 16. Um, so I was emailing all sorts of um, universities because I left uh, school at 17 in Scotland. We're like a year less than England. And, and the US, um, I'm not sure what it's like in Australia, but yeah, I left at 17. So when I was looking at universities, I was like, you know, 16, I'd ran 352 um, for the 1500 and I was emailing all these universities and they were like, oh, that's great for, you know, a 16 year old, but you're going to be racing 20 year olds who have ran, you know, mid 340s, low 340s. So, you know, take another year uh, and let us know, you know, how you get on kind of thing. And the University of New Mexico emailed me back saying, you know what, like, we'll take you on kind of thing and, and we'll give you a full ride and, and let's have a little Skype call or something like that. And, you know, we did the Skype call. They were like, yeah, we, we want you to get here start of August. Uh, I was like, perfect. And then that summer I went on to run 344 and win Euro Juniors. And so they were like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty solid shout because I'd already signed with them at that point. Um, and then I'm seeing on my lap of honor, I'm seeing all these, at Euro Juniors, all these American coaches who didn't recruit me. And like, I was just kind of laughing and it was like Oklahoma state, like all these, all these like Oregon, all these universities that like turned me down. And I was just like kind of giggling. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was great. So that's why I went to university of Mexico. It was my only option. Um, <laughs> my only offer and ended up being obviously a fantastic opportunity for me. Uh, I come out and you know, it takes a while to settle into universities uh, anywhere but obviously across the pond it's a little bit more difficult you're moving from your parents and things like that so you know it took me about a semester to settle in and and really know what it was like to train and, and kind of be the one pushing everything like going to class you know going to training making sure everything's right with the diet and things so yeah it took me about a semester and then you know my second semester my freshman year I was able to I was able to work it out a little bit better and, and I was settled in pretty well from there. Yeah, so uh, you got through that kind of the tail end of 2015. Uh, I think you skipped indoors in 2016. Um, but you have, had a bit more international kind of taste in 2016. So from memory, you made the NCAA finals um, in 2016 and then you went to World Juniors. What was, that first, uh, what was that first real world championship taste like for you? And what did you get out of that kind of leading into 2017? It's just such a big step up. Like as a junior, I've always asked athletes, like, how do you step up from junior to senior? And even, even that question makes sense from like, how do you step up from Euro juniors to world juniors? Cause you're now against, you know, obviously the whole world, but 
you're against, you know, these Kenyans and Ethiopians and, you know, East Africans that all run insane times versus, you know, like I think I'd ran three thir- or three forty one or something. I think the qualifying time was forty three or forty two. And uh, you know, I think the guy that won it had ran like three thirty two or three thirty three. And I was just like, you know, I'm so at my depth here. And so it is difficult to kind of ease yourself into it. And when you've ran good times for, you know, a European, but when it comes to the world stage, it was, it was really difficult. But again, I jumped in with two feet, uh, made the final. I think I was 10th. Wasn't, wasn't my best performance, but I think I psyched myself out beforehand, just being like, these guys are so amazing. And I didn't run it the way I should have done, but it's, it's a difficult situation to be in, but it's something that you just got to rip that bandaid off and you just got to realize that everyone has to do it. And then, you know, you've not got any age group or uh, any other kind of category that's going to stop you racing everyone in the world. So you've got to just, you got to get running fast and, and be really aggressive. And that's kind of where that came from. I feel like I, um, I was naive, but I was also uh, a little bit worried going into races. And so I just, I, I was like, you know what, worst comes to worst, let's just go hard and see what happens. I think that's kind of where that um, breakthrough happened, where I realized that I didn't care who anyone was. I was going to race my own game plan and I was going to stick to it no matter what. And then I found some success from there. Yeah. And the reason why I asked that is that obviously you're an incredibly talented junior, you know, with 25, with how 2015 and 2016 went. But I think, you know, from the outset, uh, you know, even myself, um, I feel like you kind of got on everyone's radar in the indoor season of 2017 and you in, in the indoors in 2017, you'd beaten kind of the unbeatable Ed Cesarek at the, at the indoor championships. Although you'd taken out that success, although you kind of had that mindset that you were going to do, you were going to run, a, you were going to run the way that you wanted to, you weren't going to let anyone get in your way. Was there anything that necessarily changed in training in that cross country or base phase at the tail of 2016 to set up the start of 2017? Yeah, I think so. So I took cross off at the end of 2016 because I came back from world outdoors juniors um, in 2016. And I was just like, kind of, I was pooped, man. I was, I needed a little bit of a break. And then I actually, and we recruited one of my really good friends from Scotland that year. And he also, he had to, you know, sit out a year. It was like some sort of red shirt because he had already, used up some eligibility so he came over and you know we were living together and we were training every day and he's he's like hard as nails like so difficult to break and so we were just you know working out every every day together we were pushing each other to the limit and I didn't have to race and so we were having you know we were enjoying our time at university at the same time so we was like work hard play hard a little bit for that semester through the end of 2016 and so you know I I, I gained this amazing base um, that I was able to work off for um, for the start of 2017 when I kind of had that breakthrough year, um, and so I was just like, yeah, this is this is how I did it. So looking back, that was a big reason why I was so strong that year. It was it was I like I took cross off and and also one of my best mates came and pushed me to the absolute limits every day. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily specifically you know uh, implementing certain training or anything like that. It was just more the fact that you just had a mindset that you were going to train hard, and you also had someone just kicking you up the ass every session. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the way it goes. Like everyone knows, training solo is really difficult, but also having someone who you know he was really good at my weaknesses, which was like longer tempos and longer track sessions, and that's pretty much what you're doing through you know September, October, November, December. So 
he was just he was better at that stuff and I hated losing to him so we would really go back and forth uh, and so yeah that was a really fun time actually I did, I did enjoy that yeah um yeah so 2017 that was I feel like that was your breakthrough year both indoors and outdoors uh going into that 2017 mile going up against you know the most successful collegiate athlete ever in che- Ed Cheserek and looked like he was going to be unbeatable I think he had a 352 indoor mile PB potentially the NCAA record at the time um what was the what was the mindset going into that race what was the tactics so yeah I remember that race so well because yeah every part of that like trip I just remember really well so the tactics was to go with 600 to go or we had to we ran the prelim and it, it felt good and then I had to make the decision to run the DMR or not I chose not to because I thought I had a good chance even though it made no sense I was like, I felt really good. I've got a good chance. And then, yeah, we decided to go with 600 to go um, in the race and push really hard from a far way out because we knew that Chez had already ran like a couple races. So I was like, the only way to beat him is, is to break him early uh, and make him work super hard. And so we weren't running all that fast and I was going to go with 600 to go. I think he takes it on with 600 to go. And so I was just like kind of poised, ready to, to really push. He slowed down at like 450 meters to go. And I was like, you know, again, I'm not going to let you settle again. It's, you know, I'm going to push you to the limit here kind of thing. And so I pushed as hard as I could. Uh, and I just didn't look back. I was like, you know, if I'm ever going to break someone, it's, it's right now. So I just threw everything at it. I was fresh and uh, I, was, I was just really confident. I was naive. Uh, you know, obviously coming off that World Juniors, I was, I was a bit pissed off. I was, I was like, I, I felt like I ran like a bit of a pussy. And so I was like, I'm going to do the complete opposite. I'm just going to run like an absolute nutter. And let's just see what happens. And obviously it, it kind of it comes off pretty well for me. Yeah, I, I still remember watching that race. And uh, like I said, it was probably, I, I'd watched you at um, the World Juniors in under 20, but watching that indoor race, I'm just like, yeah, this guy's, this guy's legit. Um, <laughs> Which, which, which kind of led on one of your first races in the outdoor season, you'd opened up with a 335.99 uh, and, and then it set up your, your outdoor season. So what, what, was it just a similar mindset going into the NCAA, NCAA outdoors? Did you, just, did you just go in just thinking, you know what, I'm just going to try beat everyone here? Or was it, was it were you trying to race a specific person? Because um, I feel like 2016 and 2017, that was kind of the arrival of Craig Engels. And I felt like leading into that 2017 season, it was just going to be, oh, this is going to be Craig Engels to take out. He's going to become pro and then he's going to be the next best miler. But it seemed like Josh Kerr just wanted to do everything and uh, ruin the Engels show. I'm just trying to ruin as many professional careers as possible, Luke. That's the way it goes. No, I... To be honest, it was, I won, obviously I won indoors and, you know, the only reason I came to the US was to get a professional contract. That's like the only reason I'm here. I was like, I want to run for um, my career. And so whatever I can do to make that happen, let's do it. And, you know, I got that stage. I stole it off, um, you know, chairs for that, you know, four minutes. And, you know, I had an opportunity to build off that. So I was like, there's my stage. Let's show everyone who you are for the next, you know, couple of years, however long it takes for someone to offer me something. And so the mindset was, I just can't, I can't lose in college now. Like I, I have to be number one. And, and, and so whoever it is, whoever the next person is, that's going to come and challenge, like they just, they can't, they can't beat me because this is, this is what I've wanted to do for my whole life. And so, yeah, the pressure was on, I put it on myself, but I also didn't really know anyone like it, 
I, I'm not a big researcher into like people's stats. Um, and so when we ran that race uh, at Azusa to run 35, nine, I didn't know who Craig Engels was. I'd legitimately like, I just, he was a big name in college, but I just, I didn't research anyone. I thought that, you know, Chez was the man and then he pulled out. And so uh, of that Azusa race. And so I was like, oh, okay, like, I guess I'm just racing everyone else. I've already raced. And because he ended up running the DMR indoors. So I didn't know, like, cause he, he said he broke his collarbone or something over Christmas. And um, so that's what ended up happening. And um, yeah, we were just trying to go out and try to run the world standard. So, you know, we were able to do that by the absolute skin of my teeth, but um, yeah, that was, that was just a big naive thing. I had no idea who he was. And so I wasn't really worried about him because you know, that's, that's just the way it works. Yeah. And that year as well, you'd obviously, you, you beat Engels and you'd won the outdoor 1500 uh, title and also the indoor title. Use that momentum, went back to the to the to the to the British champs, qualified for the for the team, and then you ran at the World Championships. Uh, I'd say you probably have this mindset as well. Twenty seventeen World Champs was probably uh, not as successful as you would have liked. Uh, you got knocked out in the heats. Uh, similar to twenty sixteen, what was the what was the main takeaway from that twenty seventeen World Championships? It was a big experience, again, and I hate to say that because. It wasn't why I was there. I wasn't there to like learn as much as possible. I was there to, you know, make a final and and try and compete for, you know, uh, in front of a, a British crowd. And so it was a really low moment in my career, um, you know, seeing the result. But again, it's the same thing with World Juniors. Like I got there and I got beaten. And so I got to London and I got beaten. And so it was just like, okay, what did I learn from this? What can I do better? Like, I'm never doing that again. Like, I'm never getting knocked out like that again it was really embarrassing and so yeah it was just knowing that you know being on a four-week camp in font with you know everyone locked into their own training is really fucking boring and I don't want to do it again uh and you know I don't enjoy that training I enjoy you know being surrounded by my teammates and you know being with my missus and being in Albuquerque where I know all the trails and you know they have fantastic facilities and and, you know, I was like, okay, I'm never going to Font Rameau again because I feel like I wasn't in the best frame of mind after that, um, which isn't, you know, everyone's so different. Like people, some people love Font, um, but I just wasn't used to it. I've never, I'd never been on a British athletics camp before um, and it just didn't work for me. So I just had to say to them, look, guys, you know, you know, when this happens next time, I can't, I can't do that. And they're very accommodating. British athletics are like, you know, whatever you need to do, like you just let us know and we'll try and help out. And so they've been great with that. Um, but that was a big thing I learned was, you know, there was like no Wi-Fi. I didn't bring my computer. So I was just sitting there in my bed all day, like just waiting, waiting for the session. When the session was done, I was like, I have nothing to do for the rest of the day. And so that was really boring because I normally have, you know, I, I lived with, you know, three of my best mates in college. And, you know, we were we were like chilling all day or like we were going out and doing stuff. And everyone else was like napping and 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 things like that. And so it was just like it was just boring for me. Um, and so I looked about who I was for, for pre-camp and I've never gone on a British athletics pre-camp again. Um, and so, yeah, that was like a big thing I learned. And then it was just about, you know, not getting psyched out by big names. Uh, it's, it's very easy to know when, you know, the, the qualifying round that I was in was insane. I, I look back at now and I was like, I, I still don't think I'd be able to get out of that freaking like round. I think I had like three Olympic champs in one, one race. I think we had McLuffy, Kiprop, uh, I had Nick Willis in there and I had Centro. And so I was just like, 
what am I going to do? You know? And so I psyched myself out a little bit there, but that was about it really. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy it. It was a fun chance, but yeah, wasn't my finest performance. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great championships to be fair. Um, but yeah, obviously a lot to take out and it really is, you really do throw yourself in the deep end when you, your first major championships, you, you're looking to your left and your right and you're, you're up against Olympic champions. I still remember running in Tokyo. I was, I wasn't, I was, I was going pretty terrible at the time, but I'm just thinking this is not going to go my own way here, but hopefully I take something out of it. Um, I feel like the, the, the typical, the typical way to turn pro is to win a couple of NCAA championships and then you usually make a, a British, a USA team. Was there any talk after world champs or even after NCAA outdoors that year that you were potentially going to transition into a pro? And if there was, why didn't you end up taking that and end up pushing it out till a year later? So I didn't. Ter- uh, so Danny was at London 2017 because I think Katie um, was there and Drew was there as well. Um, obviously, there were Brooks athletes at the time. Uh, and so Danny was there. And I think my college coach, Joe, who flew over for London, um, I think they went on a night out after the, after I got knocked out. And so like the, the relationship was very much like uh, they knew each other well. And, and I'm sure the questions were asked um, at that point. But I think Joe wanted to keep me for a little bit longer, which made sense. I don't think I was really fully developed um, quite yet. But those conversations started uh, at the start of 2018. I think I, I got... Um, note that they wanted to offer me a contract January of 2018. They said that they were going to offer me at the end of the year. Uh, and so that was a long process for, for Brooks to, you know, let me know their interest. And, you know, obviously we're not allowed to know numbers or like speak to agents or anything like that. But um, they knew that if, if they were, they were going to, you know, help me come out of my NCAA um, team that they would have had to, you know, offer me a good enough contract to say, you know, I'm going to forgo the next two years of my eligibility. Um, and so that's kind of how it, how it started was the start of 2018. Um, and so, yeah, that 2017 was probably the one that showed everyone that um, I was ready to come out of college and, and start a professional career. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it obviously ended up being a, not necessarily a gamble, but a, a great decision. It, it, it worked out to be very good post NCAA's 2018. Before getting into the 2018 season, I feel like obviously 2017 was such a great year, and so was so was 2018. Was there? What was? Can you just run me through a typical week of training, say in a base season, and then also leading up, you know, in the in the months leading up to a championship? And the only reason why I'm asking that now is because I know being an international athlete coming all the way to states, it does take a year or two to adjust. So obviously by, you know, the tail end of 2017 to 2018, you're a bit more set up, you're comfortable with your environment. So what was it like for the, for Josh Kerr as a, what were you, 21, 22, um, being as a New Mexico student? Uh, So, yeah, the thing is with New Mexico is I was on quite low mileage, but we do really hard strength sessions. So, uh, you know, I, for for winter training, you know, Tuesdays were, you know, a, a bit of a track session. We'd maybe do eight by a K or we'd do 800 reps or or something like that. Uh, it, you know, uh, we're at 5,000 feet here, so we were probably around about that three-minute mark and just, just racking those off. And then Fridays, we would do these long 10-mile tempos. I think the fastest 10-mile tempo I did in college was, 
I think 507s. Um, and so at altitude, I was really, really happy with that. Uh, and that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Even as a pro, I haven't done anything harder than that. Um, and so in between that, Mondays, we would run probably eight miles. Uh, I don't know how, how many miles we'd get on a Tuesday, maybe eight or nine. Wednesday, I would run six. Thursday, I would run eight again. Friday, we'd probably get 12 with warm up and warm down in the, in the long session. Saturday, I'd take off and Sunday, I'd normally run 12 miles. So I'd probably be around about that 50 mile mark um, for, for most of my college career. I started off at 30 or 35 when I first came. And so that was a bit of a jump for me to jump up to 50. Uh, and because I never really counted mileage before getting to college. But yeah, that would be typical. We'd be in the gym Tuesday, Friday, um, but we wouldn't be doing we wouldn't be doing much. It was normally after a hard session and everyone was kind of clocked out at that point. And so it was just mostly maintain work. Yeah. OK, so nothing, you know, nothing specific, just more that you were just getting consistent, consistent mileage. I think the biggest surprise is that you are. Uh, I feel like a lot of your races are based on that strength. So the fact that you're, you know, able to be such a strength runner, only doing 50 miles, I think is pretty impressive. Um, and yeah, I'm assuming that now it's it's probably similar, but we'll get into that, um, you know, post-college talk. I think another thing which really stood out for me at the end of 2017 and the start of 2018 was that you you were a lot more outspoken and obviously you had the runs on the board, you'd um, gone to the world championships, you'd had two NCAA championships, you'd ran 335.9 at Azusa. So you had the runs on the board, but I feel like a lot of people in athletics, specifically middle distance to distance, they try to sway away from being outspoken. They try to sway away from saying, hey, I'm going to do X, I'm going to do Y, I'm going to go for the NCAA record. I feel like, yeah, leading into that 2018 season, you started to be a lot more on flow track or let's run or even interviews. Was there any reason that specifically changed the mindset? And was there any reason why you were more aligned saying, Hey, I'm going to go out and, you know, beat this person and run this record. I think it came, you know, Joe Franklin, the the coach at UNM, still the coach at UNM now, he realized that having a higher profile is going to get a higher paycheck uh, at the end of your career. And so it was kind of, he was, the one pushing the flow track stuff and, um, you know, bringing those guys along and um, kind of helping me build that profile a little bit. And then it just came with, you know, just having a bit of fun. Like I really enjoy um, racing at high stakes. Like that's, you know, I, I won't really race a lot of races that are boring to me. If they're boring, like going to the, if I go to a college meet like last week where it's BU, I'm going to, I'm going to try and put some more pressure on myself. Cause I, I, it doesn't motivate me to go out and run like a media, mediocre race. I would rather put a lot of things on the line and then say, I'm going to do something and then, you know, try and do it. Cause it is difficult. Um, and, but to be honest, yeah, it was just like, um, you know, the, the more people who know who I am, the higher the paycheck is going to be. And I felt like we were on a bit of a roll and everyone knows that like once you, um, once you have some really good performances and, and you really, you know, get into your rhythm with, with racing, it's kind of easier to, to know that the big performances are going to continue to come rather than, you know, having a couple of bad ones and, you know, then you get a bit more nervous, but yeah, I think it was just like, you know what, let's have some fun and let's call some people out. And I feel like I was, I was reasonably dominant in the answer play at that point. And so I was like, I was really happy with where I was at. I was like, you know what, the more, attention I get the you know the more money hopefully I'm going to get offered at the end of uh, end of this career yeah it was literally a 
so they were pretty much business decisions <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty much it mate um but no it's yeah there's obviously a lot more in the line and i get in trouble a little bit from people like coaches and family members to say you know you're putting too much pressure on yourself but I think it just makes it, you know, we're, we entertain, like we are entertainment at the end of the day. And, and, you know, if you're watching me race and I run like 345 and, and just win it with like, you know, a last 400 meter kick, that's not entertainment. Like, I don't, I don't think that's really fun to watch. And so if we're asking all these people to pay full track subscriptions and pay these, uh, you know, all this money to watch us race, then we've got to put a show on. And that's what I enjoy doing. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, 2018, you started off the year with an NCAA championship um, in the indoor mile. But I think what's more impressive of that championship was in in that year, you ran the DMR between the heat of the mile and the final. And I remember watching that DMR, and I, I think you got the baton in maybe third or fourth or you know close to the front. And I was thinking, oh, awesome. Josh Kerr is just going to go and dominate these guys. I and I'm just going to be honest. You ran so poorly. I think you finished in like a four ten mile or something like that to, yeah, to yeah. DMR. And I just thought, oh no, like he's absolutely going to be absolutely cooked for the for the mile final. You ended up coming out and and, and dominating the NCAA mile the, in the final. What was like? How how were you able to get that mindset? Were you able to run so poorly and then able to turn it around? Was it the same day or was it the next day? It was the next day. Yeah, yeah so it was the next day to, of my final. How are you able to change that mindset 24 hours apart? I think if all of my NCAA, in 2018, if all of my, like, um, mo, like if, if there was a behind-the-scenes, like, documentary of that championships, it would be pretty insane. Like, so I feel really good. Um, we go out and we, you know, I win my mile prelim. And, you know, I jog off and my coach goes, what do you want to do? And I was like, I'm going to run the DMR because I didn't run it the year before because I was, you know, the goal was to beat Chez. And so I was like, you know what? Like, it's a pretty similar team. And these guys have worked super hard to get here. Let's go out and try and win an NCAA title. Uh, And we were kind of going back and forth with I was going to maybe run the 3K qualifying time a couple of weeks before. Um, And then so we spoke to um, we spoke to like. I spoke to my coach and I was like, do you think that's going to up my value if I try and win the 3K in the mile? And they said no. And he said no. And so I was like, okay, like what about the DMR? And he was like, yeah, that would up your value. So this is all in my head. Like how can I get as much money as possible at the end of this year? Because I already had been told that I'm going to get offered a contract. So I was like, what do you think Brooks would want more? Like a mile and a DMR or a mile and 3K? And they were like, mile DMR. I was like, okay, perfect. And so I was like, yeah, I'm going to run the DMR. We went back to the hotel. And so we had like two hours in between the mile final and the DMR. And no one knows this. So like, I hope people who roast me on Let's Run um, actually find the truth out here. So I go back to the hotel. I eat a bunch of food for no reason. Uh, I like Normatec. And then I come back to the track because they're like, they know that if, um, if they know that I'm running the last leg, they might, some of the teams might rest their best milers for the next day. And so I just got out there to like, make sure that they didn't know. And so everyone put their teams in, I come back um, I don't really warm up all that much. Cause I was already kind of warmed up. I jogged at the hotel. So no one knew that I was getting ready. And so I come back, run the, like, get ready to run the DMR. And so in the first two laps, I start cramping in my stomach. 
Yeah, and I, you can you can probably see the video. I haven't watched the video back because it's the most embarrassing thing ever. Now, bad, um, bad races for me don't exist on YouTube ever. <laughs> man, yeah, I mean they they've got to be deleted at some point. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I had the baton in my let me see, I had the baton in my right hand, and so it would have been my left side that was sore. And so I looked at my coach, and he was like fifty meters away from the start line, and I was just tapping my my stomach, and I was just like like this. I was like, no, like this is not going well, and I'm just cramping up. And so I'm like tightening up and I was like, no, I'll just like breathe through it, breathe through it. And then I'm just tightening up and I feel like complete shit. And so I ran as hard as I could have. And I ran 410 and I become last. So my teammates are all pissed off at me. They're like, what happened? And I was like, I told them what happened. And um, uh, what happened next? Yeah, so I leave uh, and then I'm getting a bunch of treatment and they say I've strained my oblique, right? And so I've now strained my oblique. And so I go home, I then get a bunch more treatment. I get up the next morning and my coach is like, how is it? And I was like, this is horrible. So I go for like a shake out and, and then we're like, I come back. I'm like, I'm not doing the mile final. Like I can't do it. And so they like nearly pull me out at the mile final. Um, and then he's like, no, I'm not pulling you out. Like just go and try. Like if, if it happens again, it happens again. And I was like, all right, fine. So he takes me and he jogs me in my warm up, and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And he's like, just do some drills. And so I do some drills and it like gets a little bit better and then so he's like walking with me to like walk to pretty much pull out the mile final. And then we're like getting close to the call room and he just kind of like pushes me in. And so I'm like, what the fuck? And he's like, pretty much like, yeah, Josh, you're running the mile final. Like I, the, the, I mean, worse things to worse. You embarrass yourself in front of like all the people who want to pay you in, you know, three, four months time. I was like, you dick. And so I was really angry. And so I don't know at the end of the race, you can see me. I'm still fucking so angry at my coach. You literally like, so I'm just staring at the like camera like this. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, everyone was telling me that I gave up and I was so embarrassed because I was like, I would never give up on my teammates. I chose to do it. I didn't have to do it. Like my, you know, the, the guy who was there, was there to be my substitute in the mile. And so I get really, I get really upset when people say that I gave up. Because like any teammate who's had me knows that I would never do that. And so, yeah, I, I strained my oblique. I don't know what the hell that means, but that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I didn't know you'd strain your oblique. I didn't know any of that backstory. Um, yeah. But one thing I definitely knew was that you didn't give up. Um, no. But even still, like I just assumed that something was wrong or you were just cooked from the heat. But regardless, um, you came back the next day and ended up dominating the mile. So, I mean... It's the kind of jokes on everyone else. Obviously, yeah. not the DMR success that you would have wanted, but it is what it is. I'm just going to get um, roasted for DMRs for the rest of my life, but that's fine. I'm okay with that. That works. Um, all right. So 2018 Outdoors, you one of your first races, I think at Azusa again, you broke the NCAA 1500-meter uh, record, 335. Or was it 335? Yeah. Uh, yeah, 3501 or 02 or something. 3501. Um, and then... At NCAA Outdoors, just beforehand, you famously slash infamously said that you were going to break the NCAA record again in the um, in the in the in the final, or, or maybe even the heat. Um, I said that after the heat, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and 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 maybe this was the start of the rivalry, but that was where Ollie Hall beat you in the NCAA finals and kind of put Ollie on the radar. Um. And, you know, don't, don't want to, you know, gloss over too quickly, but obviously after NCAAs, I think you finished third, was it? Yes. Yeah, third at Oregon. Uh, and then uh, the talk was, you know, Josh Kerr going pro. And 
I don't think it's too much of a secret, but um, your your contracts with Brooks ended up being, I think, one of the biggest collegiate athlete contracts going pro. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I don't think I'm breaking any secrets there. I think it was pretty well pretty well reported and and well known at the time. And you know, obviously, you've got an NDA, so I'm not not asking numbers or anything like that. But when you when you went pro, I think even myself personally, and I think other people around, I think that going to Brooks was uh, I just didn't I just didn't expect you to sign with Brooks. And when I when I heard that you'd gone with, with Brooks, I was like, okay, that's not what I at all. I just expected the typical Nike to Bowman, Nike to Oregon Project, or or something like that. A lot of the a lot of the conversations that you've we've been having have has pretty much been around money. Um, was 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 money your only decision in going in in, in the group that you went to? Um, and what other what other groups were you speaking to, or were you keen on coming out of college? And then, sorry, <laughs> three different questions. And then, why was it Danny uh, in the end? So I think you know I was able to obviously get a great Brooks offered me a great contract. I think in terms of international students coming out of a US college, it was big, but like compared to, you know, all these crazy Americans coming out of college, like I, they obviously got bigger contracts than myself. Um, but to be honest, it was, I got offered similar numbers, I think, um, from different companies. Uh, but it was, you know, the contract was written. Yeah. You know, nothing changes. Um, you know, they offer the contract that they still, that they probably wrote in January. Uh, and so they know who I am. It, well, it didn't change because I was third at NCAAs and they know what kind of athlete I was. And, and, you know, that just wasn't my day. And, you know, going back to uh, the passing of the torch to, to Mr. Hoare, uh, you know, Chaz gave it to me to, to, you know, rule the 1500 for a while. And I passed it on to uh, Ollie for a little bit. And uh, I think, you know, Ollie then passes it to Jordy and then Jordy passes it. So it's just, it's been, uh, yeah, to Nagoose and Hawker and all sorts. So, yeah, that's the kind of way it goes. And, um, you know, when it comes to contracts, Brooks are just a phenomenal, they're a phenomenal brand. And, you know, those conversations, you know, they presented to my parents, you know, what they wanted to do with me and the contract that they wanted to give me. Um, and, and, and it was a very family oriented field. And they said, you know what, like, we're going to be, we're going to be your, you know, your son's kind of route to success in Olympics, world championships, and, and we're going to hold them to, you know, a high standard. And, and that was the reason I went with them was because like they're a running only brand uh, and they have a coach that was, first of all, hardworking, second of all, knew how good I was, which is difficult. And because, you know, in my head, I was like, I can be Olympic champion. And it's when you're a 335 guy, it's difficult for sometimes coaches to, and see that future and um, but he saw a real good potential in me and third he's you know a clean cut uh, a guy that I know I can trust my you know my career with him and so yeah Danny was the reason that I signed with Brooks and is continuing you know obviously the, the same reason I'm still here and um, but yeah it was just like the whole thing like the way the company's oriented the, the, the amount of athletes they have we only uh, right now we've got 12 13 athletes on the Brooks Beast team we have an assistant coach. We have a full-time athletic trainer. We have a full-time nutritionist. Like it's a, it's a great setup, and and uh, the brand was just making moves. They have the best, you know, the the you know the highest selling um, trainer in the U.S. market right now in the Ghosts, and so we we sell a, a, a great training shoe, and and yeah, most recently we have one of the fastest spikes on the market. So yeah, it, everything just pointed towards 
it being a fruitful but also honest uh, and hardworking career that I can go into you know Brooks HQ and everyone knows who I am uh, and that's not because of the amazing times I run or like big performances they know every single beast and um, because they're just interested in the sport uh, and they love being a part so we work with every different department we have meeting we have a, a meeting at the start of every year with every single department and you know how we fit into the Brooks model so yeah it's difficult to get that small company feel but also have you know the budget to make it you know uh, a career that's um you know pretty fruitful yeah and with with when you, you talked about budget there um do do say for the sort of people that are new to the new to the group and say don't have a big contract or anything like that if um people do brooks usually look after a lot of travel and, and accommodation and, and 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 physio and medical and all that stuff as well so every contract's different, but, you know, being part of the Brooks Beasts, um, you're obviously all of that's covered. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's the amazing thing is, you know, we, you know, uh, I'm trying to see if I can walk a line here. We, um, we have very clear cut contracts where they have a lot of belief in their athletes. And so there was never a doubt of, you know, through COVID, everyone kept their job, no one got cut. And I think that's just a very respectful way to, to work knowing that you're pushing boundaries for a company that has had belief in you. And regardless of how you do, they're still going to pay you the same amount, um, which means it's amazing for uh, us to stand on a start line and about to make your first or um, one of your last big teams. You know that regardless of the outcome, you, you know, you're still going to get respected by that company. And so, yeah, it's a very nice environment to be in. And I think it promotes amazing um, performances. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just run me through the the setup quickly. Like, uh, so you, you've obviously gone through your relationship with Danny. It seems like it's a it's a guy that you can trust your whole life with, trust your your, your running career with. Run me just through what the team setups like and and the professionalism that the Brooks Beast brings as well. Yeah, Danny's created a, a phenomenal team, and I'm very proud to be part of his team. Um, you know, based out of Seattle, the HQ's there. Um, we we spend a lot of time in there, and and you know mingling with with the employees and working with the marketing department and working with spikes and and so yeah i mean we we meet five times a week uh and then most of us meet the other two as well anyway most of the team live together everyone gets on and so that's the kind of environment you're looking for for uh for progress and and, and big performances but yeah it's a slow um recruiting process uh they're very specific it's not a blanket approach with um with athletes it's you know, are you going to fit with the team? And then do you have the talent to be good enough on this team? And, and I think that way of recruiting really helps us create that team dynamic that, that we all really want, which is turn up uh, every day at work and, and be happy to be there. Yep. And um, with the, just say in a, in a calendar year or, a, or, or an athletic season, what's the setup like with basing in Seattle, training camp, uh, European, how, how does the, the whole year usually work in a, in a, in a season where you've got indoors and say a, an international major championship as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we start every year, late September, start of October. So, you know, those September, October, November, December, um, and then start of January, we're in Seattle um, for that four, four months, just over four months. And then we do our first camp normally in Albuquerque mid January through um, USA indoors or British indoors or whatever that kind of date is. And so that date this year was at the end of, Feb. Uh, then we normally have two weeks of downtime, and um, where you can go and see family, or you know, continue to train in Seattle, or kind of go where you want, really. 
Um, but you know, obviously you have to be sensible and we're still training and we're just kind of getting a bit of relaxed time from the team. We start up training again, um, was it March 13th. Uh, and so we're going to be in Seattle for probably a month. Uh, and then we're going to go to Albuquerque for the second camp. And then some people will stay there, uh, up until two weeks out from USA's and some people will come down a little bit earlier. And now we have an assistant coach. It's a bit easier to, um be in two places at once for Danny um but yeah I'll be in Albuquerque for um, the majority of time before British champs and then after that it's about who makes a team who doesn't uh, and then people will race maybe the European scene and so everyone's kind of all over the place from there and then we'll we'll, we'll break it down from you know mid-August to end of August so we'll, we'll call it a season and then about a month of, of chill time uh, and then we start up again so that's normally how the year works Pro group can have such flexibility with uh, running Europeans, uh, sorry, like a European season, the American season, and then also having that flexibility to have an assistant coach. So you've got two eyes in uh, two continents you know, at all times. Um, yeah, exactly. Just a quick one, which you, you kind of touched on there earlier. And I messaged your co-host, uh, Dave Ribich, um, before this. And I said, is there anything, that, you know, anything that I can kind of talk on? And, um, I expected that he was going to give me like some 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 naughty secrets or a bit of bit of skeletons in the closet type thing, but he actually said something really interesting. And you kind of touched on this as well when you were talking about your um, why you signed with books, and it was a it was a it was a family sell approach. And I thought that it was really good because I feel like that at times in my athletic career um, it's been similar. But what he said was is that your why for athletics is is very different. Although you do seem to be an athlete that, you know, it's, it's all about your personal success, your why is a lot more than that. Your why seems to be with your running because of your family, because of your brother, because of your fiancé. And I just thought that that was really, I don't know, sentimental and, 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 and just really nice because realistically your family's been there since day dot. Now your fiancé is with you every single day. Was there a time in your career where you started to run more for them or has it always been something which has been instilled from you from, from day one? Yeah, I think um, it's interesting because I like, you know, I think what Dave's trying to get at is like that medal last summer was not really for me. It was like payback, uh, all, all the hard work that my parents did over the years, payback, um, you know, the continued motivation that my brother gives me every day that I'm paying back to him to make sure he's out the door every morning to, you know, be the best athlete that he can and, and to prove to, you know, my fiance that I'm worth being around and, and uh, that I can create a life for us that um, is exciting and that, you know, we can, you know, yeah, obviously last, uh, over Christmas is when I proposed, but it was like, I can create a life for us that, you know, you want to be a part of. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't really do it for myself. I do it for, you know, all those moments that everyone else worked hard for. Uh, I'm just the end result. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, if everyone does all these amazing things for me, it's, it's almost a disservice not to give it everything that I've got to make sure that I'm that number one guy. And, you know, someone's got to be the best in the world at this. Why not me? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I've been brought up to be, to be a champion and and so anything less than that is a disservice to to everyone else's hard work around me yeah it's uh i actually i really like that story is because um obviously in 2017 i I went back to being coached by my mum, and 
it was even though my mum is is a great coach, a lot of that preparation leading into to com games and then a lot of the preparation into 2019. I had my dad on the bike. I had my sister getting my 200 splits. Mum coaching and getting my 400 splits. So I just felt like a team, a team, team thing. So when Dave said that, I was like, "Wow, that's um, it's just awesome." And as I suppose a little bit relatable. Um, and I also like the idea. I listened to a podcast recently that when you when you got your bronze medal, you took it took it back to Scotland. You went and saw every single one of your junior coaches. You did clinics with people and. Um, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of that people people might just see Josh Kerr as the professional athlete that's outspoken and confident, but they don't see the the Josh Kerr that's running for someone else other than themselves and then giving giving back to the to the athletics club. Um, yeah, I think you know it's important. It really is. Like going back home was massively important, and because you, what my job is is to bridge that gap between. You know, every Tuesday and Thursday, I'm out at Meadowbank running for Edinburgh AC, working really hard. And then I'm watching these Edinburgh AC athletes on a world stage doing really well. But there's no in-between because none of us really train there. And so I'm like, I'm trying to provide that middle step to be like, all you need to do is, you know, be really thoughtful in your next steps. Like the university that you choose, or if you don't go to university, what brand to choose and what you can do to be in our position. Because there's no point of us being there and pretending, you know, just because we're wearing an Edinburgh AC vest that everyone's then going to continue to get there. Our goal, I, I know that Jake Whiteman and, and Chris Hare was really good at this. It's like, how can we bridge that gap? Because Chris was the one that bridged the gap to get to university for me and then bridged the gap to get to professional. And then I, you know, I want to be able to bridge those gaps back for those athletes because everyone works so hard, but no one really knows how to get there. And so, yeah, that was, that was a fun time to go back and take that medal back. And we were there for hours. I was putting the medal on every like kid and they were loving it and it was great, but it took a while. And, and it was just one of those things was like, I'm not going to stop doing this until someone doesn't want it. And, and uh, I feel like that's our job. And um, if we're going to continue to be proud of this club success that we have, let's, let's keep giving back to that club that's given us that success. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, uh, that's, that's really awesome to hear about that. This episode of the Inside Running Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Performance, Australia's leading sports micronutrition brand. Head to pillarperformance.com.au to learn more about their formulas and how they support recovery, elevate energy, and relieve joint inflammation.